Welcome to episode 007, or should we say 007. Um, That's right, guys. We've made it to episode 7, and uh, we couldn't be more excited to, you know, be be doing the James Bond episode, even though this episode has absolutely nothing to do do with James. But, uh, in fact, uh, I'm going to talk about something far, far away from James. Um, so let's let's jump into uh, what have we been playing? What have we been buying? I've started the last few episodes, so I'm gonna have Rick uh, tell us what he's been playing. All right. So I've been continuing with my mission of getting the was speed run trophy in okay. Zero Drifter. Have you uh, finished it? I have not. I'm approaching like the 60, 70 percent completion mark. So correct me if I'm wrong. You're you're making like save checkpoints. Yeah. So the way the game works, being similar to Metroid, you have a save point and then a trek to the next save point. And I'm kind of treating those as like gameplay segments. And on average, I'll restart three or four times okay. from one save point to the next, trying to get the fastest possible run within that segment as I possibly can. Would you say you're on track right now? I am on track right now, but it is monotonous Mm -hmm. and it is, uh, it is challenging. Okay. You know, it's, uh, it's not how I would play a game. Right. You know, it's not how I would choose to enjoy the, the medium of the video game. So, um, I started, that's going well. I'm enjoying the task that it is, but okay. it doesn't feel like I'm really playing to enjoy my time. I see. Um, in the meantime... You're challenging yourself. Right. Exactly. It's it's a challenge. It's something... It's a trophy that got away from me that I was reminded of that I just needed to go back and okay. make it happen. So if it's the only speed run trophy I ever get, I'll be fine with that. Yeah. Never again. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll keep updating about how that's going. Uh, in the meantime, though, this week, I picked up out of my high stack of games that I own that haven't started. The backlog. The backlog. The Great Ace Attorney Chronicles on Switch. I started playing this. Um, haven't actually only started it, like, two days ago. Okay. So I'm I'm still in the investigation portion of the the first chapter, so... I'm not going to talk too much about what I've seen so far in the game, but it's if you don't know what this is, it's a it's like a compilation of the first and second great Ace Attorney games, which are kind of like a a far-flung prequel, right? Yeah, so it's uh very removed. There are references, but it's very removed from, you know, Ace Attorney 1 and 2. Um starring and I have to look at the case to get the pronunciation of the main character. It's Ryunoku... Try that again. R- Ryunosuke Naruhodo is the main character. Okay. And Apologies he, to all of our Japanese listeners. He is an ancestor of Phoenix Wright. Okay. Now, this one is actually set correctly in Japan, right? Yes, it is. And um, it is... Uh, yeah, it is very distant in the past. Right. I, I know uh, the current Ace Attorney or the the modern Ace Attorney games are in in 
outside of Japan are set in Los Angeles. And right. I say that with quotes. With quotes, because it's... a lot of the settings and stuff are clearly <laughs> Japan. Japan. Yeah, this is just a localization choice that was made a long, long time ago, and they've just decided to stick with it mm-hmm. and not retcon it back to being in Japan. And I know it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing that the series kind of right. does nowadays. You know, there was an Ace Attorney musical that okay. happened in Japan that I, I've only read tidbits about, but... That's Wouldn't be surprised if that's available me. like on Blu-ray. They put a lot of their stage plays and stuff that they do on DVD and Blu-ray in Japan. Yeah, I'm, it's something I'm going to have to look more Maybe into. it's like a, an original... There's an Ace Attorney anime as well. I think, yeah, you're right. Yeah. And I think there's a manga. Yeah, like it's, it's pretty uh, fully um, fleshed out, the series. I beat the first Ace Attorney, and I think I got to the very last chapter of the second game. I wanted to play them in order, and I still want to. But I felt that playing this out of order wouldn't really mess things right. up too much, seeing that how removed it is from, like... I will say, I don't know how you can stop a game, like, dead in the tracks right at the end and just move on to something else. I have, like, it's just my signature brain's way of doing things <laughs> to get right up to that 90% and then just... just walk away? Walk away. <laughs> it's not something I choose to do. Is it... Maybe, like, your brain is like, I don't want this to be over, so I'll just never finish <laughs> it. I don't know what... It could be that. I mean, there's a lot of Ace Attorney games to play still. There's oh, there are. three, four, five, and six. There's the Apollo Justice right. games yeah. and uh, Ace Attorney Investigations and, yeah, just yeah, there's a all lot. that. And, you know, we're getting the, the next Ace Attorney collection early next year, I believe. Right. It has, I think, four, five, and six on... Yeah, those are the ones that were Japan only, right? No, I mean, they, they, they all were at one point, but, like... They were, like, physical only releases in Japan, I think. Right. And then we only got them as digital releases on the 3DS here in the West. Okay. Um. So, and then again, of course for the 4, 5, and 6 is only being released digitally for some reason in the West. Right. Which, you know, we discussed previously is just an annoying sure. shame. But thankfully there are some ways to get, like, English options, but you'll have to go to websites like PlayAsia to accomplish that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you play physical, you mean? Right, like, if you want a physical copy. Otherwise you can just buy it on the eShop or the PlayStation Network, and maybe it's coming to Xbox? I'm not totally sure. Right. I gotcha. So, yeah, that's what I've been up to. Okay. Um, I spent about 20 hours over the weekend from Friday, you know, evening to Sunday night powering through uh, the last few chunks of Final Fantasy 16, and I'm happy to say I've completed the game. I, uh, you know, I really, really enjoyed the game. I enjoyed the characters. I enjoyed the story. The final boss was uh, pretty, pretty great. There was some, like, really, really cool moments for, I think, a lot of symbolism. Mm -hmm. Like, at one point, the final boss sort of almost has, like, a... Uh, like a Sephiroth-esque kind of look. Like, he's got, like, one wing and oh, stuff. Yeah. yeah, like, there's some interesting callbacks, and there's this really cool moment between the boss and the, the player character where, like, one of them is saying, like... Um, uh, basically, they say Final Fantasy, like, when they talk to each other. I don't know how to, like, explain it, but, like, it's just, like, it flowed so perfectly. Right. Like, one of them's like, this is something, this is a fantasy or the, that you live in or something. I'm just making this up. And then, and then the player character is like... 
well, I'm finally going to put you away. Or, yeah, I, I don't know. They, like, that's not what they, he says. They make a title reference. In the yeah, dialogue. yeah. I thought it was pretty cute. Um, and uh, anyways, yeah, just a great experience. I, I don't think I'm going to stick around for the Platinum Trophy. I thought about it, but you have to replay the entire game on a new new game plus mode difficulty that gets unlocked after you beat the game mm-hmm. and i just don't think i have that in me i mean i is 71 hours to yeah. to finish the game now i did every single side quest i crafted every single optional weapon and piece of gear um does that all carry over in the new game plus yes it does your level carries in fact like the game is basically expecting you to be level capped when you jump into new game plus from my understanding oh this oh man this is for me it's not like you you don't start new game plus and all the enemies are level one right they're all like level 50 which is like the level cap and now the level cap has been raised to 100 in new game plus okay so maybe if I ever get a hankering to play the game again down the line, mm-hmm. maybe I will do New Game Plus. But uh, as it stands right now, yeah, I'm ready to play something else. It's been taking up a lot of my time. Not that I minded one single bit. In fact, I'm really looking forward to the two DLCs that they announced for the game a month or two ago mm-hmm. back at PAX. Um, PAX being this big event that happens in Seattle uh, every year. Well, and all over the place, actually. But the main PAX event has always been held in Seattle. Yep. Um, And uh, they haven't really said what the DLC is going to be, but just that it would explore the characters and the world of... uh, or the continent of Valisthea further. So... uh, That, like, everything you just talked about with the New Game Plus especially speaks to me... I mean, that, it sounds like the right way to do a new game plus. Right, it it is. It's oh, and how the mode is called done. Final Fantasy difficulty or Final Fantasy mode. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I have to do that now. You just <laughs> sold me, uh, which I was already sold. So I just sold you on a seventy-hour game. They're right. then going to play a second time for seventy hours. Right now, um, I do wonder if like your quest completion and stuff carries over from the main game or not i'm not sure if final fantasy 15 is anything to go off of certain quests will mm. but hunts won't okay and uh oh god yeah some yeah. of those hunts i i will say it was a game that um i felt like it got easier over time like the game felt much harder at the beginning mm-hmm. than it did by the end now the final boss was tough at times for me right i, I had I had some trouble predicting his movements and getting my mo- my reactions to his movements correctly. I still managed to do it without having any uh, fails or you know having to you know continue. Right. Um, but there was a couple moments where I was. Uh, I mean, if I hadn't done some of the side quests and increased my like potion capacity to max and stuff, I may have right. had to redo the boss fight at some point. But uh, it was it was awesome. Um, and uh, I mean, maybe one of the coolest. Uh, there's a, there's a lot of cutscenes near the end, yeah. And there's this uh, there's it's, this it's Final Fantasy, right? So like before you're doing like the one on one battle with the boss, there's like this really cool like tag team thing where there's like three of you and you're all in your your icon forms and you're just having this crazy battle mm-hmm. with the final boss like up in the skies above this particular area, and um, it just uh, it was pretty incredible and like. While it's a cutscene, it does have some interactive moments where you're pounding the the square button yeah. to like, Rrr. right? Uh, yeah, and so I I did enjoy it, and it's just like super. Um, it's Final Fantasy as heck. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, especially the final battle, there's there's also a big, like, kind of... I, I hate to call it a quick time event, because it's really not. It's not super chat. It's not like where you're posting, like, R1, then square, then X, then circle, and then X five times. And then, you know, yeah. you're not doing something like that. It's like, there's two buttons that are used in quick time events. It's either the dodge button, which is L1, or R1, and then it's the square button for attack. Like, those are the only two, like, mm-hmm. things where you kind of have those cinematic dodges or cinematic attacks i think they're called in the game yeah gotcha yeah that's that makes sense uh i i can totally envision what you're talking about um that new game plus though <laughs> like that's the kind of thing i plan for in my first run and then right you know invest in and now i i understand that like there's these uh sort of equipment uh like trinkets that you can get in the game that'll like reduce the cooldown of this ability by like five seconds reduce the cooldown of you know this or add five percent damage to that Mm -hmm. i understand in new game plus you can if you get a duplicate of that trinket you can combine the two and then like give it a greater effect um so like instead of it being like increase the damage by five percent now it's increase the damage by ten percent if you combine two duplicate trinkets yeah and these trinkets can only be obtained once in the main game and my understanding is you can like keep doing new game plus over and over again and yeah. basically eventually craft like that crazy follows, trinkets like yeah. that follows the rest yeah. of the series but um i think cuz you know final fantasy 16 is one of my ps5 priorities that are you know current mm-hmm. as well as honkai star rail and uh, <laughs> And, uh, well, your PlayStation Portal is going to be here well, soon. And Mortal Kombat 1. But yeah, I, I think I came to the realization that subconsciously I haven't touched these games. Right. For multiple reasons, but one being that I'm waiting for the PlayStation Portal. Right. I think I want to start with that in my hands. Yeah. You know. I'm, I've, I'll be honest, I've been like, I don't know, you being so positive about the Portal mm-hmm. has made me like really like looking at it like i have like a gamestop gift card for like 40 bucks that i'm like maybe i should just use it on the portal i think i've accepted it for what i know that it is i haven't thought of it as like some other console or something it's a streaming peripheral right you know and that's perfect yeah i could really use something like that i mean i think just and then having like the dual sense feel in your hands yeah having the haptics there yeah having the right like feel of like oh having a PlayStation Five controller exactly. In my hand. It's not like streaming to an iPad or something. Yeah, it's because I'm it, having to use like a DualShock Four right for my iPad, and it like I don't know. Yeah, like, it's hard to go. The DualSense feels so like premium and nice in your hand, and then you get something like the DualShock Four, which just feels feels cheap at this point. If I'm being honest, honestly, to me, the Portal feels like the next step in you know the iPad streaming and the phone streaming and yeah. all that because this is. A device specifically made for gaming. Yeah. It's dedicated, you know, yeah. and it has all the haptics and the the orthographic yeah. stuff that a game device should have. We'll have to do a deep dive when you get your hands on it. We definitely. I can't will. wait to hear all about it. Yeah. Um, so, since I wrapped up Final Fantasy 16, I thought I'd jump into something a little lighter. I've only been playing it for a day and a half or so, but uh, or I should say, I've only played maybe about two hours. Mm-hmm. But uh, Super Mario Brothers Wonder, mm-hmm. um, which has just been 
a breath of fresh air from like the the serious dramaticness of Final Fantasy. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, like you know, I would say there's not. It wasn't very melodramatic Final Fantasy 16. Like it didn't feel like over the top, like rolling my eyes. Like the performances were really well done in that game. Mm-hmm. They felt authentic. Um, you know, kudos to the cast, uh, the the English voice cast, the main voice cast for the game, uh, for doing a good job. And, you know, the writing, too, of course. Right. But anyways, jumping into Mario has uh, been a lot of fun. I've completed the first uh, world, I guess you could say. I've done all the levels. In each level, there's the usual, like, you know, like... Uh, like in most Mario games, you're usually like collecting a star or something at the end of a level, right? Right. right. So in this game, there's a it's like some kind of fruit. I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but there's usually between one, two, or three of these fruit things hidden in the level. These fictional fruits or like yeah, it's it's not a fruit. I really every world has a different like flavor of this fruit, so to say. But okay. they're basically the equivalent of like the stars in Super Mario 64. Okay. And you need so many to unlock certain areas and things and so forth. I'm uh, I'm asking if they're like strawberries and apples. No, no, no. These are definitely fictional. And they have like the little face on them like Gosh. that you're used to seeing on like the, the Mario Every, everything stars. Else, yeah. Right. Um, and uh so and then there's also like three hidden purple coins in every level too. So I've been mm-hmm. trying to like 100% each stage as I'm going along. But uh, like last night I was playing and I had replayed a stage like 10 freaking times trying to find the thing. Yeah. And I was like, I could have just played a bunch more stages right. rather than trying to find the last purple coin. And those games, I feel like it's okay to move on and come back. Yeah. So I think my goal with this is I don't want to be. St- stuck on Mario Wonder for like a month. Right. I want to just get to the end, experience most of the stages. I understand there's a bunch of post-game content in the game, like a bunch of really hard levels for like the hardcore Mario people. Mm-hmm. I just want to get to the end. I want to see the credits roll. So I'm going to try to not get too hung up on finding every secret in every stage. If I can just find the main fruit things that I need to progress through each stage, yeah. then I think that'll be okay. I don't need to find the purple coins for every single stage. Yeah. Um, aside from that, I haven't been playing anything else, but I did pick up several new releases. Some of them are sort of updated releases of games that haven't been out too long, but let's start out with the new stuff real quick. So, I got Star Ocean, the second story, R. Mm-hmm. Um, which is uh, a Square Enix published title and developed. Uh, although I'm sure they probably had a, a third-party partner help them with the development. Um, and this is a game that has been getting actually really, really good reviews too. And the original is known for being a cult classic. Right. It's got like almost a hundred different endings. Um, it's, uh, like more a, than that. No, I I actually looked it up. It's oh. a, it's about like ninety endings or something like that. Okay. Um, I mean, maybe there's, like, micro-variations of endings or something that you consider a different ending, but there's, like, 80-some, almost 90, like, hard, unique endings. I think there's, like, 12 different characters you can marry, something like that. Um, I mean, I don't know that they're all marryable, but I know there is a relationship system in the game, and I know that you can, like, influence it or... I beat the original. You play okay. Yeah, you played um, Second PS4. Story, okay. So this had a PSP re-release, um, 
or the original Star Ocean 2 had a PSP re-release mm-hmm. that I think added a new character that wasn't seen that was cut from the original release due to time. Gotcha. And then this this re-release is pretty much um, all of the <clears throat> it has all of the content of the PSP game, but like visually it's very different. It's now got an action battle style system. Um, it's no longer straight turn based. It wasn't in the original. Um, I mean, my understanding is that it's more action than it was prior. Okay. Well, in the like original... Like, you now have, like, free roam around, like, an environment when you're, like, fighting. That's exactly how the original was. You go into a random battle, and mm-hmm. it opens up, like, a limited area that okay. you can run around okay. and slash enemies and stuff. Okay. Well, there was never a turn base. My understanding is that it's it's more open... It's more action-y than it was prior. So okay. yeah, whatever I, that means. I don't know what it means, but I just know that it's it's apparently the combat has been expanded beyond what it was originally. Okay, um, but the story is the same. Um, you know, like a lot of unique things from the original games are still present. Like there was a way to be like a thief and you could steal stuff and gain like the best weapon in the game almost immediately at the start of the game to for like the sword using character. Stuff like that is there. Right. You can't recruit everyone, I'm told. So, like, you really have to be careful with, like, yeah. who you recruit because it'll lock out some other ones. And that... if you recruit too many people too early, it could lock you out from people available at the end of the game. That was a big thing that uh, was a problem for me when I yeah. played. Uh, because, yeah, depending on what decisions you make and what route you go, you will lock off. Uh, there's no way to 100% every item in the game. Uh, yeah. Like, it's impossible. Right. So yeah, for me, it, it does seem a little overwhelming. Like just everything I've been reading up on, it's like, wow, this game is ginormous. First it, of all, it is, and there's just so many ways that you can go right or wrong. You know, depending on like the kind of player you are. Mm-hmm. Like if you're worried about missing stuff, it's just gonna happen in this game. Yeah. Like there's no way to get around it. Now, I mean, from what I understand, you can't really mess up the game so bad that you can't beat it or anything like that. Right. But, you know, if you were, you know, like, if you didn't talk to this one NPC during this brief moment in the story, then maybe it locks you out of, like, mm-hmm. getting something later in the game, you know? Yeah, there's... So, uh, I think I'm gonna wait until there's, like, a... It, maybe a comprehensive guide available yeah. for this game it, on GameFAQs. When it comes to missable content in games, this has always been and has always remained my number one example of you know games with missable content i i have a memory of us we were hanging out maybe more than a decade ago and you were telling me about this game and how crazy it was yeah um and so i i've always been interested in it since then um did you watch the trailer i sent you for this just to see what it it visually looks like it's yeah it's got that it's 2d 3d well i mean quote unquote it's different than the hd 2d games that they have been producing but it has these like very beautiful like kind of natural looking environments but then all the characters are sprite like pixelated yeah anyways i think it looks absolutely stunning um and i understand that like they really uh like catered to fans of this game like you can play the game with like if you're a japanese player and you want the japanese voice cast they have the original japanese voice cast re-recorded all their lines from the ps1 release and then for the PSP release, they had a different voice cast originally, and all of them also returned to re-record all of their lines for this release. Mm-hmm. And then in addition to that, I believe there's English, um, 
Anyways, yeah, it's something I want to jump into, but I'm, like, intimidated by it, it greatly. You should be. I'm telling you that. Yeah, and, like, when I see people talking about it online, they all seem to be, like, experts in the game. Like, they played it a million times mm-hmm. back in the day. And so, like, it's like it's almost impossible to jump into the conversation and be like, what the hell should I do, you know? Yeah. It just seems to be the advice is, like, don't worry about it. Just enjoy your first playthrough blind. Uh-huh. Um, which is, that, it's it, hard for me to do. Yeah. As someone who likes to try to do as much of everything as I possibly who can. Is obsessively single... prepared. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, like, I don't have time to replay a single game a million times over anymore. Yeah. Like, it used to when you were a kid. You'd get a game, and then that was your game for, like, the next six months. This game is going to be very difficult for you to... Yeah. To... Okay. <laughs> I'm just going to I'm scared to unseal it, even, you know? Yeah. Okay, so, like I said last week, I said it was going to be a really expensive week for me, and I wasn't lying. So the next game I have here is kind of something maybe nobody would have expected me to pick up. But it's Fashion Dreamer. Mm-hmm. It looks interesting already. Yeah, okay, so do you remember the style-savvy games uh, that Nintendo put out on the DS, DS. and 3DS? Um, Rings a Bell. Okay, so they had partner... I Oh, gosh, I can't... I'm embarrassed. I can't remember the name of the company that developed the style savvy games, but it wasn't Nintendo. Nintendo published it. Sure. Okay. Um, but this company, I, I guess Nintendo was no longer publishing their games for them. Uh, so they developed uh, their own unique title separate from style savvy called fashion dreamer. And I had always been interested in a style savvy game, even though it's like always been heavily marketed towards like the female audience. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought it would be interesting to finally check out something. I've, I've heard from the reviews that it's not nearly as comprehensive as a style savvy game was. A lot of the style savvy games, you would like have your own shop and things like that. Mm-hmm. And you'd have to, like, sell to, like, the NPC characters that would show up. Okay. And help, like, design their outfits or whatever. Gotcha. Whereas this game, it seems to be a little more superficial. Um, so that was kind of disappointing to hear. Um, but, you know, if nothing else, I really like the cover. It's really <laughs> clean art. Yeah. Um, so uh, I guess, I don't know, we'll see. Maybe I'll check it out. Or maybe I can convince my, my girlfriend to play the game over her her Thanksgiving or winter break so I can watch her check it out. I like those kind of games. They're nice uh, palate cleansers for when you're playing something intense. Yeah, I I think so. And, you know, I I am curious. I mean, like, I mean, it it is very clearly, like, girly and, like, you know, like, influencer. I I understand this game has, like, this whole, like, oh, you're trying to earn likes and things like oh, that. Okay, okay. Um, so yeah, and I guess you can connect online and like share your NPC with other players, and like people can actually like browse and like all the like different, Instagram, like, almost in the like an in-game Instagram kind of a thing, which sounds interesting. Yeah. I mean, there's like literally like hashtags and you know hearts and likes and chat bubbles and yeah. friend requests, okay. looking buttons. It's the, interesting. It has a different yeah. spin. Yeah. it sounds like than those so I don't know. It's it's could be something but i'm sure there's a lot of people who bought this hoping it was like the successor to style savvy and i think some of them are kind of let down like oh this is this is different yeah Yeah. all right so the next two games i have here are pokemon scarlet and pokemon violet now you might be thinking these games came out a year ago Mm -hmm. and they did but these are the re-releases with the dlc expansion built into the cartridge and I say that, but there's a little asterisk there. 
because so far only the first DLC for Scarlet and Violet has been released. The second DLC won't be releasing until mid December. Mm-hmm. So you might be wondering, well, are they going to do another one? Well, there's that that part of me. So here's the thing: the game, the cartridge has the unlock for both expansions built into the cartridge. Mm-hmm. So after you've downloaded the update it'll be unlocked and it won't have to do any kind of like internet check for your game if you're using these cartridges Mm. but the fact remains that only dlc1 is on the cartridge not dlc2 right so as a physical collector it's immensely disappointing that they couldn't just wait until the second dlc was out like i said last week this is something they did for scarlet and violet and they waited until both dlcs were out and you know you can have the whole game on cartridge unfortunately with this case these are basically you know only half the story here yeah um so if if they end up re-releasing it again they <laughs> reprint it and let me tell you these were 95 dollars each. each yeah that's nuts this is nuts so it's basically the price of the game which is 60 dollars, and then 35 dollars for the dlc hence the 95 dollar price tag mm-hmm. Um, so even though you could probably find Scarlet and Violet for like fifty to forty-five dollars on sale at various places at any time, yeah. Um, but as someone who has every single ESRB release of the main series Pokemon games, to me these are these are basically a different version of Scarlet and Violet. In my, you know, the cover is different, the art is unique to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I gotta have it. Yeah. And so I wasn't gonna risk like with. Uh, Sword and Shield, when they re-released those with the DLC included, you know, they became pretty obscure almost immediately. They were out of stock at a lot of places. They didn't print a huge amount of copies of them. Mm -hmm. So I'd rather have these than not have these and pay, you know, $200 sealed like they are for Sword and Shield right now. I kind of generalize these kinds of releases in my collecting What is like Game of the Year releases? I call them deluxe versions. Mm-hmm. Just to lump them in with, like, you know, releases like, you know, Link's Awakening DX and sure. that kind of stuff. It's the same additional content release. Right. I mean, for me, I if the spine just said Pokemon Scarlet, Pokemon Violet, I would be like, well, these aren't really different games. But because, I mean, you're right. They're, they're the, they're the, they are the, the deluxe version of the game they're the game of the year edition of the game with all the dlc included Mm -hmm. you know games do this all the time yeah although it's been historically uncommon for nintendo to do that kind of a thing with their games um in terms of releasing a a plus dlc kind of thing you know that's something other publishers have been doing since like the ps3 360 era this is relatively new for nintendo um, and a lot of they've been releasing like uh, uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild with DLC included, but only in Japan. They've been doing the same for Mario Kart 8 Deluxe with all the DLC included, but only in Japan. Yeah. For some reason, the Pokemon Company they have the autonomy to make this decision for whatever market they want to. Yeah. And I'm grateful that they've been you know releasing ESRB copies of this in America. I really wish they had just waited until both DLCs were out and finished to print the carts. I understand why they did it because they wanted it to be available in time for the holidays. Right. I think that's kind of lame. Yeah, it is a lame excuse. Um, it doesn't fly. And you know, I will. I, <laughs> I hope 
they reprint them again next year with the DLCs fully included. You're hoping to shell out another... $200? I mean, yes. Sadly, I am. Uh, because, I I mean, I don't know. So, hypothetically, let's say they re-release the games again, right? Mm-hmm. With all the DLC included on cartridge. W- should I sell these and just get the other two? No, because to... that would be separate. This is a unique these. variant, yeah. right? Right. Yeah. So... Shoot. <laughs> yeah. it's They got you, son. They got you. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. I'd probably just keep them all. But, yeah, it it hurt I, a little bit to spend $200. I, I would need to have those for my own. Like, yeah. given my own collecting standards, right. those would be included. Yeah. So, I, I'm i I'm envious. Yeah. I'll have to go get them. I'm a poke simp, man. What... Are they okay? How are how are these available? Are they available at retailers or just online? Uh, I think you'll have a hard time finding them at retailers. Okay, you're gonna find them on Amazon. You're gonna find them on Best Buy and like Target's website. I don't know that you're really gonna see these in stores anywhere. Okay, I mean I've never heard of a ninety five dollar retail game right for Switch before. True. So I don't I don't think they put that on. What the about store GameStop? Shelf. GameStop might have them in person they might that's probably where i would go that's probably the only place you would find them but it would not shock me if most stores only got a couple right um so but you can still find them on pretty much all online retailers but if it's anything like sword and shield was by the end of the year you'll be struggling to find them sure with sword and shield what i did is i didn't even know that they had re-released them with the dlc included like they were so quiet about it Mm -hmm. i had found out about it like around christmas time and I was like, what the heck? This is a thing? Like, I need to have this. You know, it's the complete version of Sword and Shield. Um, and so I found that shortly after Christmas, a lot of people were selling maybe a copy that was, you know, given to them as a gift for like $70, $80 on like eBay and Mercari. Yeah. So I managed to pick up a copy of each of them at a somewhat of a discount. And like I said last week, they're now going for like $200 each sealed. Yeah, that's Which is absolutely nuts. Do you have to have these sealed or are you going to keep yours sealed? Yeah, I mean, I already purchased the DLC digitally for Violet version. Mm -hmm. I haven't purchased the DLC for Scarlet. I don't know that I'll need to. I know with uh, Scarlet and Violet, uh, they kind of incentivized you to purchase the DLC for both because... The, for the first DLC, oh, sorry, for Sword and Shield, they incentivized you to buy the DLC twice because Urshifu, the right. the mythical Pokemon from the first DLC in Sword and Shield, had two versions, and you had to make a choice which version of Urshifu you wanted it to evolve. Or yeah, Kung Fu evolved into two different Urshifu forms. So you know, naturally, I picked up the DLC on both so I could get each variant of Urshifu. Right. Um, it remains to be seen if the final DLC of Scarlet and Violet will try to make that same incentivizing thing. The first DLC hasn't done that, thankfully. Right. Um, so I haven't felt the need to pick up the DLC for Scarlet. I might consider picking up the DLC. I might consider opening the Scarlet with one if there is like a DLC exclusive Pokemon. Mm-hmm. But a part of me would rather keep it sealed and just pay 35 bucks which right that's just it's yeah it's just the amount of money quick question about cub foo yeah because you get two right one for each version you need three because you got two forms of urshifu and you want to keep that's true so i what i did was i had a second 
save file that I ran through the game on just to get to the start of the DLC. Because you can access the DLC. Before you beat the Exactly. So I just had to get up to the point where, and then I just got Cub Fu and then I sent it to home. I never thought about that save file again. Gotcha. But yeah, it did involve me playing about five or six hours of Sword or Shield again on a different profile to get access to Cub Fu. But yeah, kind of ridiculous. You had to get three of them. And they didn't even give you that. Yeah. So, anyways, we're already at the 35 hour mark and we haven't even talked 35 about 35 minutes. 35 hour. Oh my God, that's ridiculous. Imagine, dude, a 35 hour podcast, the file yeah, size. Forget it. I don't think we'd be able to upload it. Um, so, we're at the 35 minute mark. So, let's jump into the news. And I'm going to take lead on this first story here. Um, shortly before or after we recorded last week's episode, it was announced that Bungie. Well, it wasn't really announced. A bunch of employees just went to work and found out that they were being laid off. So Bungie, the developer of Halo and the Destiny franchise, announced that they were uh, laying off about 8% of their workforce, which is 100 people or so. So right off the bat, here we go again with another round of layoffs in the industry. And this isn't the only round of layoffs this week. This was just the most notable round of layoffs that I saw. Yeah. and so the, Bungie was acquired by Sony last, um, or I think it was February or March of 2022. And what's interesting is that Bungie told employees back then that no one would get let go in term, uh, because of the acquisition by Sony. And that's probably still true. Um, I tell me if I'm wrong, but yeah. I thought it was 2019. No. No, okay. No, it was early 2022. Yeah, I know. This is a fairly recent acquisition. You know, the last two or three years have been like an acquisition battle, mm-hmm. uh, but this is definitely something that's happened. I uh, say that because some of the articles covering it mention 2019, but also your notes here say 1.5 years ago. So it is the year 2023, almost the end of 2023. So if we run the math real quick, 1.5 years ago is early 2022. Okay. You're right. Are you okay with that? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> You've convinced me. So 2022, we just got a Rick looking like a goof. (laughs) I'm just trying to make sure this stuff's accurate. Yes, no, it definitely happened in 2022. I followed this story pretty closely back then. Um, You know, I don't play Destiny anymore, but I was a huge Destiny player. Yes, you were. Almost 2,000 hours on the original Destiny. I remember giving you a bunch of my... Uh, can tabs yes. from Red Bull when they had yeah. that. Red Bull or Rockstar. There was some kind of promotion they had, and I was like, Rick, you need to buy Red Bull for I me. think both of them did. At, at various at points. At different times, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I remember... Yeah, I don't even remember what damn tabs got me. Uh, it was like... Um, some, I don't some cosmetic thing or something, no yeah, doubt. I don't even know if it was that. I think it was just in-game items. Oh, okay. Well, like probably didn't amount to much of anything. Yeah. Um... But uh, so, uh, again, you know, Bungie, uh, a first party Sony studio is not immune to this troubling industry trend. Um, Bungie claims that the layoffs are due to all time low player sentiments, low pre orders for the next expansion, the final shape, and revenue targets being missed by 45%. Now, these are internal revenue targets set by Bungie themselves, mm-hmm. not by their parent company, Sony question about these statistics are these regarding specifically destiny or all bungee 
Well, Bungie only has Destiny. one product on the market, and that's oh. Destiny 2. I mean, technically, Destiny 1 is still available to play, but mm-hmm. I can't imagine it's creating that much revenue. And I wonder how long it is before they pull, pull a plug, plug on, on those servers to begin with. Gotcha. Um, now, uh, you know, like, some notable people were let go. Like, you can clearly see that Bungie was... Uh, not just targeting like low-level new employees. They were targeting some people who had been there a long time, some people who were probably pretty expensive, mm-hmm. including long-time Bungie composer Michael Salvatore. He had been with Bungie since 1997. He'd mm-hmm. worked with them on essentially every single project they had ever put out. Yeah. Um, and so that was uh, shocking. And it wasn't just Michael Salvatore. There was Michael Salvatore's protege, who was also a composer, was also let go. Gotcha. Um, and that's, so, that's just sad that their legacy composer... Yeah. Uh, I mean, they had uh, one other composer who had worked on Halo in the original Destiny. And famously, there was like a lawsuit and he was fired. I cannot think of what... His name is, um, it's like something O'Donnell, Marty O'Donnell. Okay. That's what it is. Yeah, there's a big feud between Destiny and Marty, uh, or Bungie, Bungie and Marty. And uh, now now Michael's gone, so like none of the original composers of Destiny are still there. They're clearly probably going to be leaning heavily on their new talent to you know do composition work for the games now it's probably likely that michael had already finished work on this destiny expansion right which is touted to seemingly be the final destiny 2 expansion okay they've said there's going to be small story bits for destiny in the years to come but uh given that we know that pre-orders are down player sentiments are low and their revenue targets are missed it wouldn't shock me if this is the end for Destiny, which mm. is kind of crazy to think about because they had such a massive hit on their hands at one point. Right. And we know we're only... Next year will be a decade of Destiny, and to think that it's it's basically over for Destiny is kind of crazy to think about. Their next game uh, being is called Marathon, and it's a, a throwback to a game they developed a long time ago also titled Marathon. It's apparently a multiplayer extraction shooter, and that's kind of a popular uh, genre of game at the moment, especially mm-hmm. on like the PC space. Right. Um, I think it all started with uh, an Ubisoft like Rainbow Six extraction or something like that, um, and ever since then, a lot of people have been making extraction shooters, and apparently it's scheduled to get really big next year. There's like three or four supposedly coming to market in the next two or three years. Right. Um, and so Bungie's jumping into uh, a very popular, a soon to be populated space. No promises of success there. You know, when right. you're chasing a trend like that, um, I don't know. I, I, now I'm kind of worried about Bungie. Like their destiny seemingly kind of circling the drain a little bit. Yeah. I, well, if you think about it, destiny is very much one of those games as a service type. Oh yeah. You know, structures. It's hailed as being one of the best, you know, design-wise. Um, it makes sense that a live game like that is going to die at some point. Yeah. I mean, just probably a lot sooner than anyone expected. Mm-hmm. It makes me wonder, is Bungie ready to just kind of put the game in maintenance mode and just kind of maintain the servers and do little things here and there just to appease... I mean, even if... 
even if there's only, you know, if their revenue target was missed by 45%, that still means that they they made 50% of the revenue that they were hoping to make, essentially. Right. Um, so that means there's still probably a good size of, you know, a, a loyal player base that's still there for the game. Right. But, uh, you know, like, can those people sustain the game long term enough to justify the amount of people they have working on the game? This would indicate no. Right. Um, and, you know, a part of the, you know, other another piece of news out of the, these layoffs is that they've delayed the Destiny 2 expansion, the final shape, multiple months from February to June, which is going to make player sentiments even lower. Right. And, and now you're asking players who have pre-ordered yeah. the game for almost a year now. That doesn't help their, their problem with the sentiment nope. at all. And then Bungie's next game, Marathon, has been pushed back from sometime in 2024 into 2025. Yeah. So, and a lot delaying of this... their, like... You know, possible solution to their problems. Yeah, um, I mean, they have to hit it out of the park with this expansion. Like the word of mouth has to be like so good that you pull back in. You know, these forty-five percent of players who haven't been spending money the last you know quarter or whatever, uh, they need to come back to the game. They need them back. Yeah. I won't ever be going back to Destiny. Right. I, I I got out. Yeah, you're out. I got out. Um, I can't see them never releasing a de- assuming Bungie like survives this. Mm-hmm. I can't see them never releasing a Destiny three at some point though. You know, you I, know, it's interesting because originally Bungie never wanted to make Destiny two. They mm-hmm. had an agreement with Activision that required them to do to it. put out a Destiny two. Destiny was originally supposed to be like. FPS console version of World of Warcraft, where it would just get expansions ad infinitum. Gotcha. Okay. Um, But Activision, they had an agreement with them when they were still their publisher before Bungie bought back the rights from Activision. Mm -hmm. And so they they made Destiny two, and they were kind of stuck with it. And from what I understand, over the last several years, they've been adding in old content from Destiny 1 back into the game, but Mm -hmm. at the same time they do this thing called vaulting where they take content that's in the game and they remove it from the game. You can no longer access it and they put it in the vault and then they occasionally cycle old and new content in and out of the game which to me is mind-blowing. You're paying for like an expansion. Let's say you paid $40 for this new expansion. Mm-hmm. And then two years later, they tell you, oh, that content's going to the vault, guys. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah. That... Can you imagine if World of Warcraft was just like, hey, remember this huge new area we gave you? All these raids, all these would dungeons? That, would that scenario you just put forward happen, though? They would do that two months after an expansion comes out with the content that they just released? Or would no, they? it would be... It would be a significant a chunk of time. Mm-hmm. I mean, still, that to me, as yeah. a player, I couldn't tolerate no, that. I, I get that. Yeah, I I wouldn't. I, you know, I played Destiny two at launch. I beat the raid. I beat the raid on the hard mode, which got me the platinum trophy. And then I was like, I'm done with this game. Right. It was crazy. My raid group that I had from Destiny one carried over to Destiny two. And when we finished the the first raid on hard mode, like everyone stopped logging in. It was it was crazy. The the game was in a rough place. I heard it had gotten better, but now it seems like it's in a rough place again. I think they had an expansion that came out either late last year or early this year, and 
players are just seemingly not enjoying it. And was it broken? or was it... I don't know if it was broken. I think it was just like, you know, you pay 50 bucks for this content that lasts about like three hours. Mm-hmm. You know, this like new story content that lasts about three hours. And then you're just repeating the same grind over and over again to like try to get little micro upgrades on your gear. Right. Um, and then, uh, you know, and then you do the raids and then that's it. I don't know. For me, Destiny 1 was, like, perfect. And then Destiny 2, you know, I always thought... I blamed Activision. I was like, Activision screwed up a good thing. Right. Why didn't they just let Destiny 1 continue? Right. Um, You're probably right. You're probably yeah, correct. Yeah. I, I'm going to say that's I don't know. Right. Maybe Bungie would have done this weird vaulting thing anyways back then. But, uh, yeah, I remember hearing about that after I'd already lapsed. And I was just... I, I, I let out a guffaw. Yeah, I was like, I'm sorry, they're doing what? Yeah, yeah, I, I cannot imagine uh, losing access to something that I paid for. That, right. That's just ridiculous. Yeah, it is. Um, um, the one thing I want to mention too, uh, reading about because obviously uh, Michael Salvadori got let go, who was a, the legacy composer for Bungie, so not just concerning Destiny, right? Concerning Halo and all everything Bungie's ever done. Uh, I assume Oni on PS2 because Bungie and Rockstar collaborated. He, he on probably that. worked on that. Um, aside from him, the other people that were part of the layoff that I saw—I don't think they all are this, but I because I, whenever layoffs happen, my first and biggest question is always who. Right. You know? And I saw um, social media leads yes, mentioned multiple, multiple. And I saw, um, was it, Heard commu- some... community managers yeah. were mentioned. I-, I saw that some engineers were let go. Okay. Um, so it... that gets more into the development side, yes. potentially. It wasn't just, I mean, a hundred people were talking. It right. can't just be community management. Right, right. Know? Well, I... there are other non-development roles, right. you know. It, this wasn't like HR people. This wasn't like accountants. Even QA is not necessarily right. part of development. I mean, it wouldn't... QA is probably some of it is. Um, oh, dude, you're, you just made a bold. I'm not. Statement. No, I'm not saying that QA. QA is a hot button issue in the. It is in, yeah. in the game scene. Well, I mean, when it comes to testing, yeah, no, you're not developing anything. When it comes to debugging, yes, you are. Okay, well, uh, that's my opinion, okay. but I'll put it out there. I don't care who, it, whatever. Um, well, you know, testers are often seen as the uh, the I'm not the cra- roaches. I'm of not the crapping studio. on testers. I yeah. love game testers. Like you need, they're necessary. You have to have them. I mean, without them, your game is not good. I I am only saying that game testers are not part of development, which I would also say about audio. Right, but wouldn't you say that a game tester maybe would provide feedback for a suggestion of how to do something rather than the way that it's been designed? And then they are supplying bug reports, but they are not debugging the game. The people who are debugging the game deserve the credit. Right, but what I'm saying is someone who's a tester isn't just saying, there's a bug here. A lot of times, they want more than, like, there's a bug here. They want, like, feedback on the gameplay loop. And so if, you know, there's, like, a consensus amongst the testers... So that's UX. That's getting into what's called UX, which stands for user experience. Right. And, yeah, that's very important. You have to have that. 
but that doesn't necessarily make it part of the development process. Like you're not playing an instrument in the band, right. but you are doing, you know, handling the audio video, right. you know. But I mean, feedback that comes from testers results in a game changing from how it was originally envisioned in some cases. To me, that's being involved in development. I'm not saying you're not involved in development. I'm just saying you're not... You're... Okay. Uh, You're not creating any assets. They're getting applied to the development of the game. They're not drawing anything. They, you you know, taking screenshots, playing the game constantly, jumping at a wall 50 times until you fall through isn't easy. You have to be a certain kind of person to be able to do that. I don't think I could do that. And, uh, you know, providing, writing out bug reports is more than just, there's a bug here, of course. They have to provide screenshots. They have to provide detailed information about the level what happened specifically usually testers have some education on like game code and how colliders work and how other game objects and game prefabs mm-hmm. interact with each other things like this i'm not saying they're not educated i'm not saying they're not important i'm not saying they're not 100% necessary i'm just saying that they're not creating assets i agree they're not creating assets yes but i would say they're a part of the development process. Well, you could say the media is part of the development process because they control. No, that's marketing. That's marketing. Okay, but yeah. you get my point. Sure. Like, they are. They're not. They are not part of the core team that builds the game. Right, and that's why they're often treated like second-class citizens in studios. I don't think they should be. They're relegated. To they like, are not second-class citizens. Right, but unfortunately, that's what happens at a lot of studios. Right. Uh, from just things that have come out over the years. I'm just being, you know, real and factual about okay. the matter. Right. But because of the reasons, like you said, they are treated like second-class citizens at a lot of studios. And sometimes they are first on the chopping block. When mm-hmm. money needs to be saved, they're like, well, you know... they Their talent is probably the easiest to replace, unfortunately, for them. You think so? I do. Like you said, it takes a very special kind of person. It does. Oh, definitely. Um, I would put them... I would say that I okay. I would put community managers and social media managers <laughs> okay yeah. ahead of them on that because list. that that role, the social media, the community stuff. I feel like is it's applicable across multiple industries. You're right. The the community management thing. It is yes. So it's like it's not just a game design. It's not just a game industry thing. Like Oreo has a freaking community manager. Right. You know? uh, QA testing is applicable across all of tech. Mm-hmm. You, you could say. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that the same person playing video games is the same person testing. Not necessarily. New Microsoft uh, Word features. But you can say the same about audio as well. Yeah. You know. But, yeah, we're getting way off topic. So, uh, real quick before we wrap this one up, I want to read uh, this. Hold on before we wrap it <laughs> okay, up, Okay, all right. Um, there's a bigger picture to be had here. We're talking about Bungie going through a round of layoffs. We, not long ago, talked about Naughty Dog going through a round of layoffs. And we're looking at multiple Sony-owned, PlayStation-owned studios going through layoffs. So, there's a pattern. You know, there's there's something to be... I'm not saying Bungie's not taking full accountability for these layoffs. And I'm not saying that... Obviously, I... Correct me if I'm wrong, but the layoffs at Naughty Dog did come from Sony. Is that correct? You know, I don't know that we know that for a fact. Okay. Um, 
it's interesting. Bungie has said that um, we're taking responsibility for these layoffs. This did not come from Sony telling us to do this. Now, maybe Bungie felt that Sony would want to see these layoffs happen. Right. You know? Right. And so they did it to sort of appease them from any other kind of judgment being handed down to them. Maybe they thought this would be easier to do themselves rather than have Sony come in and say, we want you to lay off 20%. You right, know? right. And also, what they decide to do may, you know, Sony might tell them 200 Right. You know. So. Exactly. So maybe they thought this would, like, put a Band-Aid on it, you right. know, and hopefully they can right the shit before it gets worse. Appease mom and dad, yeah. you know, before you... So, yeah, let's not... I mean, even though Bungie's taking credit for the layoffs, right. you know, saying, uh, hey, this didn't come down from Papa Sony. And even, even if there was no directive from Sony, like, you know, Bungie is still a child of Sony. Yeah. They're going to do what... You know, their decision, the fact that they are a subsidiary of PlayStation is going to guide their decision making. It's interesting though, I I do think Bungie maybe has more autonomy than, say, Naughty Dog does. Probably. They probably negotiated. I know, well, every developer wants to keep creative independence. Bungie really wants to create. I mean, creative. all their games will still be able to publish on what whatever platform they want to. Sony has not restricted them to only publishing like new games on PlayStation. If we look at the history of Bungie, Microsoft bought them back in the 2000s. They bought their independence back from Microsoft. They signed a deal with Activision to yeah. publish their games. <laughs> yeah. Then they bought back that right from so, Activision, and then they sell themselves to, to Sony, Sony. Right. So which they is wild. bounced all over the industry. It's very obvious that they value their ind- creative independence. They they're willing to buy themselves back. Now, you know? if you're Sony, are you like, oh my god? Did we make a mistake purchasing Bungie? They're missing their revenue by 50%. Um, I read, actually, uh, just to because I want to put numbers to this. Sure. Um, that that purchase was 3 point... Some sources say 3.6, some say 3.7 billion. Right, so, you know, 3.5 to $4 billion, this purchase. Of which 1.2 billion was specifically for staff retention. Right. So that's interesting. I mean, that to me says like... That we, want, we want the bungee team. Right. We're yeah. not just buying the company. We yeah. want the people there. Right. To which stay. means that people got paid. Right. Yeah. Um, so anyways, yeah, just an interesting pattern I noticed between Naughty Dog... I don't know what's going on with Sony Santa Monica these days, if they got layoffs. Rumor has it that they're going to be unveiling DLC for God of War Ragnarok very soon. Okay. Um, I mean, I don't have any source on that, you know, to quote right now, but uh, that's that's the latest on Sony Santa Monica. They otherwise seem stable. Mm-hmm. There's long-standing rumors that they're working on some kind of game set in space or a far-flung planet or something like that mm-hmm. um their next game seemingly won't be god of war 3 although it's possible they may have two teams working on games simultaneously at right. sony santa monica i'm not totally sure if they're on that two-team model or if they're just one game at a time kind of a thing yeah um but uh so CEO of Bungie, Pete Parsons, put out a statement. I love how his name on X is in all lowercase letters. Mm-hmm. Very respectful. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> Today is a sad day at Bungie as we say goodbye to colleagues who have all made significant impact on our studio. What these exceptional individuals have contributed to our games and Bungie culture has been enormous and will continue to be a part, part of Bungie long into the future. These are truly talented people. If you have openings, I would highly recommend each and every one of them. You're right. That last bit about uh, these being talented people and you should hire them was an added-on tweet to his original statement. Oh, okay. Which to me is like, well, if they're so talented and you would highly recommend them, then why didn't you keep them, Pete? Right. I mean, yeah, hard decisions have to be made when you're a CEO, unfortunately. I I guess, yeah. Now, Pete's, Pete's not a game developer. He's a suit. He was someone who was hired at some point in Bungie's history to run the studio. Gotcha. Um, um, not a founder, I'm guessing. No, he he's not a founder of the studio either. He was brought on at some point as a as a suit. Yeah, yeah. We need a. So you know, empty words from Pete. We there. need a, a chief executive. Suit. You, know, you know what? You know what? I'll take Pete seriously if he's willing to hand write a letter of recommendation for each to every of single hundred of the hundred employees yeah. that he he let go. Until that happens, I don't believe a word that dude just said. That's not a hard ask. We're not asking for him to... What is Pete doing every day? Yeah, right. Probably not much. No, he's probably showing up for two hours in his designated parking spot. In his, you you know, know, Tesla Model X. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I mean, not all suits are bad. Not all CEOs are bad. You know, but But we... Pete, come on. Do better. Come on, Pete. Where's those handwritten letters? All right, so we're going to move on from Bungie. I guess we can maybe do one more, one or two more stories before we take a break. We're already at the hour mark. Oh, uh, one more, one more. All right, so let's let's jump in. I'm going to let Rick take lead on this one. So Atari has been on a little bit of their own acquisition spree. Uh, Atari's been making some big swings uh, that are kind of surprising to see given what I've seen of Atari over the past I don't know, seven, eight, nine years, which is decade. Not been much. Not been much, but other than questionable decisions. Quite, yeah, that's what I mean. Is yeah. questionable decisions. Um, but more recently, I'll get into that too. Uh, Atari has been on a bit of their own. Uh, sorry, you're repeating so I yourself said a that little bit. They bought two companies. They bought uh, Night Dive Studios and Digital Eclipse, which is a developer going back to the. 1980, early 1980s. Oh, is that true? I didn't know they went back that far. Yeah. Okay. They uh, they developed on PC at the time. Okay. And I think a few Atari consoles. Okay. Um. Yeah. So we are not like. It's kind of surprising. I did not think Atari had the funds to do something like this. Yeah, I mean, there's no there's no dollar amount that anyone has As, publicly seen. heard. I can't imagine. All, it was probably in the millions. The all millions. I know about Atari's finances is that their Atari VCS console, they had to uh, crowdfund it four times. Well, you know what? At least the Atari VCS actually came to market, I, unlike the television. 100%. 100% on board with that. For If you can call it. I mean, it's like an open sandbox machine, basically. Yeah, I mean, it has a digital storefront, apparently. Oh, you really? Can, you can buy things on it. I'm not knocking it. I'll own it. I'd, yeah. I'd buy it. Um, I haven't, but I would get one. The Atari VCS, for those who don't know, is like a... It's Atari's 
new console, I guess you could say. It's not like uh, it's not a com- it's not meaning to compete with anything major like Nintendo, Sony, or or PlayStation, but uh, it does uh, it does have its own library of games. Um, I don't know that it does physical games. I think it's all digital. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'm pretty sure that's correct. So Night Dive Studios, the one they bought, I believe, last year, they're known for putting these uh, really high-quality uh, remasters of, like, old-school, I say this affectionately, boomer shooters. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, the, all the, the first-person shooters from the 90s, they put together like they did the re- the remakes the remasters of like the Turok games mm-hmm. um and a bunch of other titles and they continue to just constantly put out like acclaimed remasters that keep the authentic look and feel of the original game while modernizing them making them accessible and uh you know improving you know like a lot of these old games ran at like really crappy like for or, like a uh, frames per second you know right or they they would have to have all these like fog effects to like keep the frames up 12 frames per second when there's like more than four characters on the screen yeah so now these games run really well they're available they look like the original game did but they also look nice on like a new console Mm -hmm. and you know they're they're pretty um well regarded like people look to them as like this is how if you're going to remaster an old game and you want to keep its authentic look and feel you go to these guys to do it right but yeah they specialize specifically in the the boomer shooter genre um and now digital eclipse uh Mm -hmm. they've put uh they also work in the um the remastering of classic games. I think last year they put out the Atari 50th anniversary collection. Crazy to think that Atari has been around for 50 years. Yeah. Um, and that was really well regarded. It had this like built in sort of like documentary, uh, sort of timeline thing going like almost like a digital museum mm-hmm. where you could also play the games featured in the museum. Right. This Atari 50 right. uh, collection. And then very recently, They've put out the, um, they have this sub series they're calling the Gold Master series, where it's literally a playable documentary. Where the the idea is that you're purchasing a documentary, but it has these sort of like different playable aspects to it, including like prototypes that have never been available before, mm-hmm. as well as like remastered, updated versions of the game that they've like created specifically for this. Uh, this release and the first one that just came out earlier this year was the making of Karateka or Karateka. Karateka. It's pronounced both ways yeah. by the developers. Um, and you know that game is famously made by Jordan Mechner, who would later go on to create the Prince of Persia. Right. Yep. Um, and so both of these studios have a focus on remastering games from the seventies, eighties, and nineties, um, which is exactly what right. probably Atari That's is looking for. Atari it's like is. perfect for them. Uh, you know, and I don't know, like, to me, I take from this that, like, Atari is, like, it seems like they're building towards something. Like, yeah, they can't just be acquiring I think these. they're trying to, they're switching directions, they're trying to get into a groove. Yeah. Um, I don't know anything about the administration situation with an Atari, but I can tell you that during the VCS and all the prior, their Bitcoin, mm-hmm. their cryptocurrency, I think it was called Atari Token, 
Um, their stuff with roller coaster tycoons, some drama there. Uh, one of the prominent people was Michael Arts. I think he was the, I might not be correct, but I think he was the chief financial officer of Atari at that time. I'm not seeing any, I was actually pretty familiar with some of the top brass names at Atari because I was following some of the stories okay. closely. Looking at the roster now, I don't see the same names. Yeah, there was some kind of change of hands somewhere in the last, like, two years or so. Mm-hmm. Like, long gone are the days of building an Atari hotel in Las Vegas, which, I'll be honest, I saw the concept art for that, right? and it looked really cool. It looked cool. It would have been, like, because, I mean, Atari with their casino game yeah. approach and stuff, I could see that working out. Um but I would rather have this Atari than that Atari. Yes. For oh, sure. yeah, hundred percent. And they've been seem to be making some really good decisions, in my opinion. Cartridge re-releases, as expensive as they may be, and we can talk about right. that. Uh, the twenty six hundred plus console. Right. So the Atari twenty six hundred earlier this year, they put out a new version of twenty six hundred, which is their classic console that everyone knows them for their biggest success and the 2600 plus is a modern re-release of the atari 2600 it'll play your old cartridges it'll play reproduction cartridges and i'd love to see like atari publishing homebrew games you know as official i think they are yeah that's i I think they are that's what they need to be they're they are releasing officially licensed new 2600 games yeah. now perfect that's what awesome. they that's what they need to be doing like could you imagine if nintendo was like hey we're gonna get into the business of publishing new game boy games like mm-hmm. that would be crazy it'd be even better and they might be doing this if they did put them on modern consoles as well you know because... uh yeah they may be there might be digital releases of some of these new games right. as well and that's all they would need for that i mean it, it's it's gonna be a hard ask for people younger than 50 to play that (laughs) yeah to like say hey spend 15 dollars on this 2600 game right i mean their pricing is obviously important too yeah can't be i feel like atari with their cartridge re-releases which they've been selling on their own i've seen them on limited runs website Mm. they're selling these really premium cartridges with like you know a bunch of extraneous stuff box and stuff like a hundred dollars yeah it's a lot to me, like, they're clearly... This is one thing where I'm like, well, it's a little questionable. You know, they're still seemingly chasing that, like, 50-plus guy who's got more expendable income mm-hmm. and wants to relive, you know, his childhood from the 70s. Right. Um, they could focus on remakes of some of their old, you know, some of their old classics. Yeah, there was something that they put out, uh, I think it's called Atari Mania, or something to that effect where it's like... Uh, do you remember Nintendo did those NES Remix games? Mm. I think it was on 3DS. And it was almost like they made a bunch of micro games out of their old like NES games. Uh-huh. And you'd have to like do a bunch of them in a row. Yeah, right, right. I think they were promoting it at that Best Buy event we went to for yeah, Super Smash Bros. Atari Dollars. could go that route. No, like, they did. They, they put did. out a game called Atari Mania. I'm talking about like completely remaking a modern version of like mm. some, you know, uh, Wing Commander, whatever they own. Oh, okay, so you're saying like make a AAA version of like 
yeah, classic Atari Space game. Invaders or whatever it is oh, okay, they, okay. they own, you know. Um, I don't know that these acquisitions would help them accomplish Probably that. Probably not. I'm just riffing on like right. what they could do to right. like because these because this is the right direction. I feel like at least I don't know yeah. about the acquisitions, but there are other decisions, recent decisions. No, I think these acquisitions are a really good fit for Atari. Yeah. They make sense. They don't seem like acquisitions just for the sake of acquisitions. Right. Right. Um, like they seem like these guys will help Atari be better. Um, now, uh, Digital Eclipse has says that they will still have autonomy to work on non-Atari projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, now Atari is their parent company, um, so it just it benefits Atari either way. Whether they're working on something that's Atari or not working on something that's Atari, mm-hmm. you know, it still still benefits Atari now. Atari needs to put out a really good. Roller Coaster Tycoon new new title oh, and man. do it right. Roller Coaster one, Roller Coaster Tycoon one, and Roller Coaster Tycoon two are like perfect games to me. They are, yeah. Like I played those so much. They need to do it right. PC. They need to do it right. Yeah, because the recent Atari Roller yeah, Coaster it was Tycoon on Wii games, or something, and it was terrible. I mean, I think there's a Switch version now. Uh, they're they're bad. Yeah. They, they're nothing like the original. Right. They're, Don't try to do it yourselves. Get help. But yeah. that is like I think if you were gonna have a triple A game, that would. Oh be. yeah, man! Do you remember like all the cheat codes for like you could name different NPCs like certain? I didn't names. really. That was mostly PC oh, in the okay. beginning. And yeah. It just wasn't in my okay, library. Gotcha. Yeah, I played both of those on PC in my tweens a lot. Right. Yeah. Um. Okay. So I respect it. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I, I respect that franchise anyways i'm excited to see atari continue to kind of delve back into their back catalog and just embrace who atari is and uh you know i, w- I want to see them succeed and, yeah. you know the 2600 plus it's very reasonably priced i don't know if you've seen it but it's like 125 bucks or something like that. i should just go buy one i have an original 2600 but it's not hooked up right now this would be pretty convenient and yeah like more uh, reliable putting in a, a an original 2600 like i mean you got to get like converters and things for your tv oh, yeah. to make it even happen and there's going to introduce all this lag through the converters it, and not to mention you're probably going to have to get like new capacitors replaced or whatever yeah. on the board and stuff um, yeah, it'd just be more reliable to have modern hardware. Yeah, and you're getting like an actual console from Atari. It's not like yeah. a third party, you know, thing. I have 25 plus Atari 2600 cartridges sitting at home. Yeah, so you could just pop those suckers in. Yeah. I mean, you might need to clean the cartridges, but yeah, they should work. They should work. Know? It's crazy how cartridges are still going strong yeah like from 50 years ago it might not be the biggest form of storing media but it was definitely it has its value yeah i mean you know discs i think are more prone to rot and failure than cartridges are oh yeah because 95 percent of the cartridge is encased in a plastic exactly i mean there's there's worry of uh if like moisture or something gets in a cartridge it can cause corrosion which can you know totally destroy the cartridge don't stick it in the water i think we got time for one more quick story before we break yeah um sure because we still have quite a bit to cover so i think we should talk one more thing um so sega uh they put out an internal q a on their company website 
just something for people to read, maybe to entice people to come work for Sega, um, I think is what the kind of goal is behind this conversation. Okay. Um, but uh, it's with, uh, and I apologize if I'm getting these names wrong, the, the Q&A, the, the person answering the questions is Osamu Ohashi, the division manager of the Sonic franchise, and um, he, he stated that he his goal, his ambition, is to surpass Mario. Mm-hmm. They want Sonic to be as big, if not bigger than Mario. They want Sonic to have his own area at Universal Studios Japan, just like Mario does. They want the Sonic movies to do as well as the Mario movie did. Um, and, uh, you know, he says he he wants all of this because he respects Mario. Mm-hmm. Like, he doesn't look at Mario as, like, the bad guy. You know, right. this isn't the Sega of the 90s. Right. He just wants Sonic to compete on that kind of a level. So that's that's his goal, his team's goal, is to get Sonic there. Now, I think, I think that's ambitious. It's definitely ambitious. I think it's, you know, nigh impossible. I would love... To see it, I'm here for it. You know, I'm 100% here for it. Sega is gave me my childhood. You right. know, um, you might have been more on the Nintendo You side. know, it's interesting. My first console was a Genesis. The first one I had access to was a Genesis. Yeah. So, I, I didn't get a Nintendo console until the end of 64. Are you including handhelds as... Uh, no. Okay. That would be so. Yeah, earlier. I had a gen- or I had access to my uncle's Genesis because mm-hmm. he was like a teenager when I was a kid, um, so he lived with us, um, and so I I got to watch I watched him play a lot, and then I think one of the first games I remember playing truly is Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah. Um, and specifically Sonic the Hedgehog two was the one that I kind of gravitated to the most for whatever reason. Gotcha. And uh, you know, then I got my first the first thing that I owned was a Game Boy. Just an original, you know, the the dark green DMG, the Play It Loud series yeah. of Game Boys. Um, which would have been early to mid ninety it probably would have been like ninety five or ninety six that I got mine. Mm-hmm. So my first console and the one that started it all for me started me on like a game development career path and stuff was my Sega Genesis Nomad which I got for my 8th birthday mm, so you had that before you had a Genesis yes before I had anything anything um, that was my first game console and my first game was Clay Fighter okay. on Genesis you still have that cartridge yep I do and I still have my second one which was Pac-Man 2 The New Adventure on nice. Genesis um, so Sonic was came very soon for me, right? And I had all three of them, played the crap out of them, <laughs> know every level by heart. So like, what what led who who bought the Nomad for you? My parents. It was a Christmas gift. Or it something. was my parents because it was going out of like fashion and it was probably on clearance. And uh, they got me that, but I still have it. Um, so the Nomad, for those that don't know, was the Genesis portable version of the Genesis. What year is this? That played uh, physical Genesis games. Um, Rough idea. What, the year I got it? Yeah. Uh, boy. 1994? 93, 94? Well, so you're telling me you were four or f- five years old when you got this? Maybe later. <laughs> 97. Had to be at least. Okay. I mean, the earliest right. it could have been. So you had no real exposure to video games prior No, to this? this was my first game console. You had never played any games at a friend's house or anything? 
I mean, I had seen a video okay. game, but no, I'd never probably seen one. arcades at restaurants. Yeah, and yeah, stuff of like course. That. Yeah, I don't know why we're talking about this, but well, why not? My uh, Sonic and Sega brings back those good memories. So, anyways, or not? Yeah, Sega is you know, Sega is my childhood. Okay, I I stayed with Sega all the way until. I already had a, what, Sega Saturn before I had my first Nintendo console. Okay. So, yeah. Um, anyways, it's, I'm here for it. Right. Like, uh, no, yeah, like, I mean, I respect the ambition. I think it's a good goal to strive for. I want Sega to give Nintendo a run. I think... I think Nintendo's been on the top long I think enough. if this guy actually thinks he can accomplish this anytime yeah, it's, soon, yeah, he's probably delusional. It's, it's probably a dream for him. But if he, I like people aiming high. I ch- choose to aim high myself because I, ev- I know that even if it is unrealistic, I will have shot as right. high as I. Well, you know what's know. interesting? He talks about the Mario movie, and prior to the Mario movie, the Sonic movie was the most successful video game movie ever. Uh, well, yeah, ever. And so, I, honestly, and then the Mario movie came and kind of blew it out of the water four times over. Yeah, I regard. I mean, I haven't even seen the Mario movie for reasons. I mean, they're different. They're two very different movies. Right. You know, like, one is, like, totally 3D animated, and the other is set in, like, with human characters right. and stuff. Real, Real live action. Yeah, it's live action, so to say. Um, yeah, I, I want Sonic to come back. Yeah, I, I mean, want... it's interesting, you know, they, they release games, and... They're they're very popular. For some reason, Sonic is eternally popular with young kids. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't matter what decade it is, young kids love Sonic because he's cool. <laughs> I, I'm okay. Okay, you're on right. a core on a cool. core level. And here we go to like we're throwing it back to like 1993 now. Um, <laughs> on a core level, Sonic is cooler. He is a hedgehog with an attitude. Mario is a Italian plumber. Like okay, yes, yes. Sonic looks cool. Oh yeah, like the spikes. Yeah, the just... attitude. Like he, you know, he doesn't care. He doesn't got time for anyone. You know. Yeah. It's... But he's a good guy. Yeah. Um. And yeah, he does. Just his visual look. Mario is more like, oh, cute Pillsbury Doughboy. Let me poke his belly. You know? Kind of, yeah. I mean, Mario's a hero in everyone's mind, right? You know, ours included. R- respect where respect yeah, is due. Of course. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying these things to crap on Mario. Mario... I'm saying these things to show the dichotomy between right. Mario. Mario and look, or sorry, Sonic looks like a badass. Yeah, that's not a curse word. <laughs> um. So, you know, like, Sonic looks cool. Sonic looks edgy. Sonic is... It's crazy how timeless he is. He was designed to do that. Yeah, his like, goal was to be, like, the antithesis of Mario. Basically, yeah. Yeah. Um, like, Sonic, Sega was like, we need to create our Mario, but make him, make him better. He came with a hardware update. Like, that was the blast processing of the Genesis, you know. It was a pure marketing term. W- meant nothing. It was, but if you think about it, real or not, and the Genesis did have capabilities that, like, the Super Nintendo. Sure, vice you know, versa. Um, but that idea is, you know, led, lent itself to Sonic's character. 
Like, he runs fast. Yeah. Because the Genesis is supposed to have blast processing. Right. Like, if Mario and Sonic were in a race... Well, at this point, they have been in the Olympics several times yeah, together. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, I'm I'm also happy that Sega and Nintendo work together. I'm not, I'm not sure how I feel about, like, Sega if they announced that they were coming back onto the console market, hypothetically saying, you know, speaking. Oh, I'm not saying that they yeah. are. Um, but I don't know how I would feel about that if they came out with that. I am very happy to hear them say this. Even if it is not a feasible thing, to aim that high right. is to shoot I, I, I agree. I agree. I, I, I want to see them blow people away again. I mean, they had Sonic Mania a few years ago, which did blow people away. It was it great. It reviewed really, really well. Unfortunately, Sega seems to think that it's a mistake to release pixel art games mm-hmm. and so they're now saying that they don't want to do like a mania 2 so they just had this new game come out sonic superstars which is a 2d sonic mm-hmm. but it's done in a 3d style right. it apparently has the same physics and gameplay engine as sonic mania so it plays similarly or the same mm-hmm. um but it has like a 3d aesthetic yeah. yeah so i mean that's a little disappointing for me. The fact that Sonic they won't do something else like Sonic Mania again. I mean, I mean, I'll never say never. There's a good chance they probably revisit. Nintendo doesn't really make too many pixel art Mario games. They're not trying to go for old school Mario aesthetic. They don't because, but I think they're in a different situation than Sega is. Of course, like I think there's some people who have to some some companies, some publishers have to rely more on nostalgia than say Nintendo does for a, a million different reasons. Right, see Atari. See Atari, and I think Sega can lean on that. Yeah, oh yeah, and, and yeah. Sega's in a good position. Um, they're, they've been surviving, you know, they gave up being a console holder, but they've been surviving in the industry and in the ecosystem. They've maintained a pretty high status as a publisher. I agree. You know, they're, they're not in the line, Nintendo, well, Sega and Atari both are not in the industry spotlight I mean Sega more so than Atari exactly Sega more so than Atari Um, but they're also not you know teetering on bankruptcy or something like no one's forgotten about Sega right exactly Atari Um, is more forgotten they're trying to make a comeback you know uh, and I'm rooting for them uh, the Atari property has been handed to different holding companies right you know and it's kind of not really a game right. studio and then it is sometimes. it's more so now yeah, yeah. i mean now they actually own studios right that helps <laughs> oh yeah definitely um you know like branding wise if you look at sega and atari they're probably like in terms of like like recognition oh, both are legendary logos yeah legendary you yeah. can't talk games without those I mean, two logos you walk around anywhere you're gonna see someone in an atari t-shirt yeah you know, it's crazy those two logos go on the same t-shirt as like the nintendo logo <laughs> yeah they're that big yeah same with namco but yeah atari has been coasting on a logo for 20 years yes and now they're trying to get back into the game exactly whereas sega has been actually in the game and all kind of these weird sometimes sketchy projects that they announce and just i don't the atari flashback was another thing which i think was not a bad thing but it wasn't what they needed right um but yeah i'm happy with the direction atari's going I'm definitely happy to hear that from Sega. That means, you know, because if you think about it, Sega, we've talked about this privately, they 
they kind of seem to be positioning themselves to be bought out. Some I, some people suspect. Some, some people suspect. Yeah. Um, to hear them s- express so much pride in their identity and their legacy makes me happy. It makes yeah. me smile. Now, there, there were a couple of other interesting points that came out of this Q&A beyond the aspiring to be big or as big or, or as big as Mario. Um, one of them was that 90 95% of Sonic game sales come from outside Japan, mm-hmm. which means that the Japanese don't seem to right. really care that they, much for Sonic. Not, yeah. They're not really as enthusiastic. I'm not surprised. I think that the Genesis and the you know old school Sega yeah. had such a big impact on the United States. I mean, you know, basically as, during the 90s, Sega like handed over control of like you know like the brand to America. Well, they told them that and then reneged a few yeah. times and then kind of went to war with them. But like, the same. I mean, Sonic games were not just a Japanese creation. No. They were a collaboration oh, between no, North America and Japan. The Sega 32X was designed in America. Yeah. It was an American, you know, system or peripheral library so I, I think it maybe had to do a lot with the marketing back then. Maybe there wasn't so much of a console war in Japan as there was here in mm-hmm. the States. But I think that console war legacy has had such a lasting impact on, you know, people here in the States that, mm-hmm. like, Sega has remained, especially Sonic more than Sega, has remained such a huge icon here. Right. And if you think of Sonic at his height, he, you know, remember Sonic O's on the shelf at the grocery store? Sure. Like, that's what Sonic... He was on everything. You can put I mean, him on the anything. The dude still... Sonic still gets cereals. Yeah, he does. Yeah. And he should. And he should get more than cereals. He should be on should get all fruit. kinds of stuff. He, yeah. He fruit roll-ups. He should be... Yeah. Yes, please. I'll buy. Green Hill Zone roll-ups. I'll buy. If I'm going to buy fruit roll-ups, they might as well be Sonic. Um, you know? The, he, Sonic is a very marketable cartoon character. Yeah. Yeah, beyond video games, he's yeah. got a huge appeal. Oh, yeah. Um, and the Sonic cartoons. I'm not even going to start Oh, yeah. That. I mean, dude, Sonic kissed a girl. A yeah. human girl at one point. How many Sonic cartoon series has there been? There was the oh, Deke the cartoon. Deke. Deke. And, and now, then there was Sonic X or Sonic Advance or something like Sonic that. Sonic, yeah, I think. I remember the, Sonic it was an, X. As an anime. An uh, anime? Anime. That's anime whatever you prefer I see if I say anime to Matthew I get corrected and if I say anime to you I get corrected alright well you're just in a lose lose situation yeah it's kind of not you sound a little uh, you sound a little too pinky pinky out when you say anime weeaboo I believe is the correct term I'm not but Um, okay so the other fun interesting piece of information to take from this interview Mm -hmm. was that uh, Osamu Ohashi's second goal or other goal is to create Sega's second Sonic and I say those two words with quotes mm-hmm. I don't mean that they want to create like Sonic, Sonic Sun a new Sonic yeah We're, they're talking about creating a new beloved IP for all ages that the world will know all over mm-hmm. um, so I mean that is you know, if you thought beating Mario was hard, yeah, this is even harder. Because his first goal wasn't enough. 
<laughs> to surpass Mario with Sonic. He, yeah, they're gonna. They're talking about creating another. I mean, character. so Nintendo has Mario and they have Zelda. Those are probably their two biggest things. Period. Mm-hmm. We'll be talking a little bit more about Zelda pretty soon. Sure. Um, but now, so Sega's like, well, we need a second IP that is like just as big as Sonic is. Now, Sega has other beloved IP. Yeah, they could at this point in time, like the Yakuza series or the Like a Dragon series, yeah. as it's known now, is probably their next in line for most beloved mm-hmm. um but uh they don't have anything on the level of something yakuza is like an adults kind of game yeah, that's it's not really an all ages it's not really gonna affair f- gonna work that way so i don't know i'm very curious to see them i'm sure they must have concepts for you know another ip that could be on the level of sonic it's you know that that's hard. That's yeah, hard to that's do. That's very hard to I do. I mean, Sonic is as recognizable as like a Pikachu. Part of what makes Sonic Sonic and Mario Mario is the, how far back they go. So coming out with something new doesn't seem to, in my brain, doesn't seem to be physically I possible. Mean, we won't even know when they create this second Sonic. Right. We'll be in our sixties or seventies, and they'll be like, "Oh, that was their second Sonic." Yeah. Because that's how long it's going to take to get to that point. Right. Unless they manage to breach into their, you know, they get their, I don't know. I This is a crazy. The first one I like, this is kind of crazy. I think they would have much more success with this second goal in reaching into their backlog of how many, you know, all the IPs that they own. The I classics. mean, maybe that's what they do. I mean, Billy Hatcher is right there, man. Yeah, they they have a lot. They actually have quite a bit from Genesis and on. Like, even after they left the console scene, they still have new, old IPs oh, that they Oh, for sure. I mean, rumor has it that Sega's working on a new uh, uh, Jet Set radio yeah, game. They should be, because um, that, that needs a new yeah, installment. Yeah, I mean, we haven't had one since the Xbox, yeah. Jet Set Radio Future. That's, um, that's good. Yeah, indie devs have kind of stepped into that space to fill that hole in the meantime. Mm-hmm. A crazy new game called Bomb Rush Cyberfunk mm-hmm. came out from Team Reptile earlier this year to rave reviews as like the successor to the authentic successor to uh, Jet Set Radio series. Right. Um, but I'm very curious to see what uh, Sega can cook up if that rumor holds true and they really are making a new one. Right. Um, but we should jump to a break, I yeah, think. I think it's time. Um, we'll be right back. All right, so we're back, and um, our next story involves Microsoft. Um, they announced that employees are going to be losing their access... Employees outside of Xbox within Microsoft are going to be losing their access to free Xbox Game Pass uh, subscriptions. And over... 200,000 employees are affected by this. Two? Isn't that insane? Yeah. That's... Microsoft employs more than 200,000 people are losing worldwide. Their, their benefit of free Xbox Game Pass. Now, this is a, I believe it's sixteen ninety nine a month. Mm-hmm. So it costs a which, little... Which is an increase to their previous price point. Right. Which just recently went up a couple dollars, I believe. Yeah. So it's now, if you want to subscribe to Game Pass, there's no discount for buying a year. You only pay month to month. So it comes out to about 
$200 a year. I think the total is like 203 or something like that if you subscribe every month. Mm-hmm. Um, That's and right. So like the only employees that'll get to keep this are ones that work for an Xbox that work for Xbox branding or like this one of the studios under the Xbox wing. Right. Everyone else that works at Microsoft will have to pay for Game Pass, yeah. which now can now employees uh were taken aback by this news yeah. and started being quite upset about They're it. They're angry. Now They're... if you're if you're Microsoft, while two hundred dollars a year times two hundred thousand people, that equals forty million dollars. Right. Um I'm gonna object with you in calling this uh, a cost because it's not costing Xbox anything to give permission to digital goods. Um, I think that maybe you could say there's lost sales in there. Yeah. Um, but if I'm going to be generous, I'm going to say 20% of those people would even... Yeah, I, I don't think every employee of Microsoft is a gamer. Right. Or, you know, all these 200,000 people are not playing. Or at least enough of a gamer to subscribe. I'm a gamer. I don't subscribe. Right, right. To subscribe to Xbox. Um now I I do agree, but if they were all paying, Microsoft is essentially losing forty million dollars in revenue every year mm-hmm. because their employees are getting it for free. Now, if you think about it, two hundred dollars per employees to keep them happy, yeah, is nothing. You're right. Is not that's not even like the cost of their health insurance, which it's again not even a real cost. Health insurance is a cost because that's something Microsoft actually pays for. Like, this seems like a dumb decision. This is a very dumb decision. It's so dumb that, um, you know, Microsoft head, ho- or Xbox head honcho Phil Spencer, what, Phil Spencer wasn't even informed of this change, and he was taken aback by the news. Mm-hmm. No one had told him that this was happening. Um, and so he responded by saying that he understands people being upset and he's going to look into it. Employees went on, like, their internal message board and started complaining um to uh you know just publicly complaining amongst themselves uh that you know this is ridiculous you know yeah, it, like and, and it's such a an insignificant number and you know the fact that people who are probably making over six figures mm-hmm. easily a lot of these people yeah, oh, are probably yeah. making over a hundred thousand dollars you talking year. about the employees or the, the employees okay yeah uh you know if you're working for a software developer chances are you're you're probably making big money even if you're working for like the Microsoft Windows Phone team or something, you're still yeah. getting paid well. Um, and, you know, $200, I mean, just make your employees happy. Right. Why would you make them mad? Now, understandably, Microsoft did just spend, you know, almost uh, $70 billion purchasing Activision Blizzard. Right. We, so they're probably... We understand why Microsoft would maybe want to take some, you know, cuts on cost. Right. But this is not... Yeah. This is not a ideal All you're doing target. is pissing off your employees. It doesn't make sense. And $40 million is a drop in the bucket. I refuse that number because it's not costing them $40 million. Right, but I mean, I, I agree. I'm just saying, like, if Microsoft had thought they were all paying, well, they would all be paying for, you know, like, that's the most right. money they could be taking in. Right. Um. So, and even... Realistically... They're probably missing ten, like, ten yeah. million, let's say, if that. Yeah. Um, 
Now, uh, there was an update to this story that I didn't have here in our notes. Um, and apparently Phil was able to fix this. Okay. Someone got fired. <laughs> Someone got fired or... Oh, or I don't know what happened. I don't know who made this decision. It was probably someone above Phil's pay grade, even. Um, so oh, like I don't a board know. of directors type? Maybe, yeah. Or like his boss or one of his boss's, you know, associates or something mm-hmm. said, hey, they're going to all have to pay for it. You know, like someone in HR was like, that's no longer a benefit beginning in 2024. Right. I you could know? see maybe HR having something to do yeah, with it. Yeah, I bet you it was an HR thing. And uh, so Phil got that fixed. And fortunately, all Microsoft employees will be able to retain that benefit. You know, I was thinking, you know, while not all Microsoft employees maybe take advantage of it, mm-hmm. it wouldn't surprise me if they maybe share that with family or sure. say, oh, give me your account and I'll make you the account, the one that gets mm-hmm. the free Xbox or something. Maybe like that. they were kind of taking on more of a Netflix sentiment and maybe. feeling like people were sharing too much. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much account sharing you can or can't do with something like Game Pass. Right. Uh, I, I don't subscribe. I don't know if they have any restrictions like that. But I got to imagine there can only be like one person logged into that account or one console set as like the primary console. Right. Something to, to that effect. Or profiles, yeah. probably. But, uh, you know, good news for employees. It wasn't as bad as it was. You know, sometimes complaining does work. It does. Yeah. Um, and it helps when your boss is on your side. Yeah, that is kind of pivotal. <laughs> yeah, if if Phil wasn't uh, in agreement with them, or they didn't have someone like Phil in their corner, it probably was stuck. Now they they were going to they had told the employees that they would be able to purchase a discounted version of a Game Pass subscription from the Microsoft Employee Store. So oh, okay. they did have sort of a a solution in place, a, a lesser but, offer. Yeah. So, like, they would still have access to a discount, but uh, still it would cost them money. But I guess they thought maybe we don't have to supply as much of this or facilitate it, and we bring in a tiny little bit of revenue some way. There was no word on how much this discount was. Uh, You know, it never became known because the problem was resolved before, Mm -hmm. you know, the new year began. Right. Um. So, we've got another topic. I'm going to let Rick take over on this one for now. Sure. So, um, we had a graphic come out by, uh, uh, how do you pronounce it, Dika Tweets? So, Derek Strickland. Let's just... Okay, Derek Strickland. Um, release a graphic on X, formerly known as Twitter. Now, this graphic came out several months ago, but it came across my view. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it was worth discussing. Yeah. So what it shows is the re- the overall gr- like gross income of all th- of the big three console holders, and how much of that gross income is net income or profit. Um, and what we see is a breakdown of percentages between PlayStation, Xbox, and Nintendo. Um, and what we see is PlayStation... Well, hold on real quick. Sure. This data covers specifically July 2022 through March 2023. Yes. And this information is sourced from various things that were released publicly from the different... Uh, from Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo, as well as some information that did come from the Xbox leak from their big 
I apologize if you're hearing the corn guy outside. <laughs> He's honking his little horn, trying to sell some corn. We should probably go grab some. It's pretty good. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, so this is a compilation image of data from different sources and uh, put out by the three major companies. But uh, some some willingly, some not willingly. Right, yeah. Via leaks in some case. Yeah, but let's uh, let's just... let's talk each one of them so you take playstation okay so playstation made 18 billion uh seven seven hundred forty three million dollars in revenue and uh one billion four hundred nineteen million is profit so a seven percent margin for playstation that's pretty bad that's yeah and I mean, uh, I get almost that good of a return on my uh, well let's money let's account. compare first before right. we get into that so xbox they brought in twelve billion seven hundred and seventy-five million dollars of revenue, so that's what like almost that's six billion less than PlayStation, but they made more in profit. They made one billion five hundred million in profit, a twelve percent margin. Mm-hmm. And then Nintendo uh, made eleven billion eight hundred twenty-six million, so the least of the three. The least of the three. Uh, their profit margin was two billion nine hundred ninety seven million so three billion uh which was a twenty five percent profit margin so they made the so, same amount of money as yeah, Microsoft and I mean, Sony combined practically which amounts more so that amounts to the highest of the three yeah even the number like even if you consider the the um the gross income you know being the least regardless of that the revenue number is two, 3 billion um playstations is not even 3 billion let alone microsoft so yep microsoft at 1.5 and playstation at 1.4 so i mean basically the in conclusion this is just showing that nintendo knows what they're doing the best and they're the most efficient they i mean you know, it's interesting. I, I do wonder, you know, people probably look at them as an outlier because they're not making 4K games. Mm-hmm. Their expenses are probably lower. Um, they develop more games truly internally than anybody else. Yep. Whereas, a lot, you know, Microsoft and... Yep. The other two are paying third-party developers or developer subsidiaries yeah. um, a lot of money to make games. Right. And, you know... A big advantage I do think Nintendo has is that cost of living in Japan is significantly lower than in Over the United States and in Europe, right. whereas where most of these two have their developers and at. If you consider PlayStation and Microsoft, they're both in very, very high cost of living areas, mm-hmm. their headquarters. I mean, just being in the United States sets them apart. And I do think the the wages of someone in Japan in the games industry is a lot also a lot lower than someone in uh you know the, you know the Seattle or San Francisco or LA or yeah. pretty much anywhere you know um but again Nintendo probably has a really efficient I mean they've been around longer than both of these companies mm-hmm. in terms of as long as they've been developing games they have an efficient way of moving teams from one project to the next. There's never idle hands. Um, they they put out 
just a significantly higher number of games than anybody else does, mm -hmm. even if their games don't necessarily sell as much because, uh, you know, they're maybe not seen as these big budget temple games all the time. Yep. Um, that's not to say Nintendo doesn't have any of oh, those. Oh, no, they, they do. do. They, I mean, Tears of the Kingdom is huge. Yeah. Um, they're not making small games by any means, but... When I mean, they do make... They do make small and mid-sized well, They games, do, yeah. Oh, I'm not saying... Sony and Microsoft. Uh, that's not what I meant. I meant that Nintendo is not just just making only small right. games by yeah. any means. But if you consider PlayStation's titles, Last of Us Part Two, the new Spider-Man, yeah. these are big, giant, cinematic actors, Hollywood actors, you know, just... They, they spend money on this stuff. I don't believe... This is my opinion. Yeah. I don't believe that gamers really care at least i don't if nolan north or whatever his name is i mean nolan it, north i don't consider him a hollywood okay, actor maybe but he, not he's him. as he's as hollywood as like a voice actor gets though. bad example yeah but like they do have hollywood actors doing like the facial modeling and stuff for these characters and stuff like well that. You know kojima is known for doing yeah, that stuff. getting like big name actors to get involved with his projects um do do we care? Like as gamers, do we really care? I I th I think if the voice acting is good, yeah, it's great. I don't need a big name. I I am a in a hundred percent agreement. I think, I mean, the most egregious example of this is Kojima. Yeah, in his recent games, he's been obsessed with getting like real Hollywood celebrities mm -hmm. and actors involved with his games we're talking um, about Death Stranding I Death think. Stranding in particular yeah. like I mean Norman Reedus he's a good pull you know he's a cult actor even prior to uh, The Walking Dead he was in Boondock Saints which is like a, a big yeah, cult I've film. seen that that's a good movie um, and uh, you know he's been around the scene he's a good choice for Kojima but I mean like like the new game he's got like Elf and Death Stranding 2 he's got like Elf fanning in it mm -hmm. um, and I mean one thing I thought was cool is like it's not just actors like he put like Guillermo del Toro in Death Stranding even though he's not he, like he just provided his likeness mm -hmm. not his voice or anything I think it's cool to like okay include like creative types not just like actors you know right but still, like, I totally mean, unnecessary. Yeah, that's, I don't, it's, that's my point. It's, it doesn't sell me on the game. It's super unnecessary. It doesn't sell anyone on the game, and it's very expensive. Like, you just tell me the game is made by Hideo Kojima, and I'm interested. Yeah, we... I don't need, I don't need a celebrity on the cover to sell it to me. I think, you know... I, he wants to hang out with celebrities. Yeah, he, I think so, but even if, like forget him as an exception like if we consider this kind of like the position of the industry in a way especially around the playstation zone mm -hmm. um they really want to appeal to the film industry and show that they're equal or whatever yeah, I, I don't understand this and i don't understand why people are so desperate like it's almost like the the games community wants to justify themselves to mm -hmm. hollywood right like we're we're big too we're important why don't people pay as much attention right. to us exactly and maybe they're looking at the media when they get that kind of idea um but they're not looking at gamers because gamers don't care we don't want to be a part when no one we're, no one's asking you know from the gamer side of things yeah. to be a part of the film industry or be on the same level yeah. as them or 
be part of the Oscars or whatever. You know what? When we when I go to the Game Awards, I'm always like, what is with this like shoving in celebrities. like celebrities into the into the thing? And it's like it's like the celebrity walks out on the stage and says this cringy story about how my kids are gamers, you right. know? That and seems I'm just to be like, it. oh my god! That like, seems, do yeah. I need to hear this again? That seems to be a thing. I'll never uh, forget when Michelle Rodriguez and Vin Diesel showed up to talk about the the really horrible Fast and Furious game that Bandai Namco put mm-hmm. out. Michelle Rodriguez was like, hey Vin, remember when we were filming the first movie and we were playing Tekken when we were waiting for our She scene? mispronounced Tekken. Wow. Yeah, she couldn't say Tekken. She called it Tekken. That's, I mean, it's just like... That's unreal. Did no one coach her before So then? you weren't playing it because you don't even know how to say the title. Um... <laughs> Yeah, that's just... That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, at the same time, I don't... I don't know if they see us as, like, normal people. Um, gamers, that is. But we're not. Right. Historically, at least. I know things are shifting and all that. Sure. Historically, we're... You know, gamers were the outcasts. We were the nerds. Yeah. You know? We don't appeal to norm... You know, we we mainstream. We got away from the celebrity stuff. Right, we didn't want to be into that. That was, you know, if we take a high school analogy, you know, that was the football players and the cheerleaders thing. They they like the celebrities and the actors and all that. Gamers, the nerds, the geeks, we're that's not us. Yeah, that's not us. We're interested in science stories. Yeah, and so this isn't making sense. And it's so expensive yeah, to bring these people on. Well, you know, with seeing this information laid out like this, maybe it makes sense that Jim Ryan is, you know, saying goodbye. Yeah. Um, maybe Sony's like, dude, what the heck? 7% profit? Yeah. This Oh, as far as Sony's concerned, I almost can almost guarantee without, like, sourcing anything that... Supposedly... Jim uh, Ryan w- had some this his administration was right. partially I oh, mean yeah, wholly to blame responsible. for this. Yeah. I mean I, I had heard that Sony's targets for this forecasted year are at six percent. Even less than this. That's crazy. So Sony's expected to make even a, le- uh, a lower percentage of lower income profit margin than they did this past year. That like why even they bring in Almost nineteen billion, and they keep walk away with one billion. Like who sees that and says that's sustainable? Yeah, that's you know that's a success. I mean, like, they made well, money. I guess that's good. You know. Yeah, but I mean, I'm of think the, about think about how big PlayStation is and all the costs right. that come with yeah. PlayStation. Right. One billion isn't going to be anything. Yeah, their expenses are way too great. Yeah. Yeah. Like so. You know, maybe that's why we're seeing cuts at Naughty Dog. Maybe that's why we're seeing cuts. And uh, you know, and this is again another part of what we hate to see: yeah. the developers bearing the brunt, exactly for bad decisions on leaderships, right? Roles, you know, like no one at no none of the senior leadership at Bungie is losing their job. No. Mean, no, 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 of course the composer. Not. But I mean, sure, he's in charge of music. He, yeah, but, but he's not a suit. No, he's not a suit. He's a creative. Um. So yeah, it's just interesting to put it all in perspective. Um, I hope I'm gonna follow. I'm following this guy now. I'm curious to see if he'll put out more of these kind of easily digestible graphics 
mm-hmm. uh, for the next year if we can get our hands on I, I understand that Nintendo and Sony are generally forthcoming with this information. Yep. Microsoft, less so. Microsoft reports their big picture about Microsoft as a right. whole. They don't talk about Xbox. Xbox individually. Unless Xbox has like a really standout year, then maybe they want to highlight it. Mm-hmm. But like they don't go out of their way to say, hey, Xbox is just, you know, skating by right now. Right. Um, yeah. Pretty eye opening um with all of this. Kudos yeah, I was, kudos to Nintendo, yeah, of course. For real. Like, I mean Nintendo just absolutely resilient i don't understand you know you had mentioned that their stock was like pretty cheap mm-hmm. you know and it's like they're making a 25 percent return right like that's that's really good that is really good um yeah i don't know why anybody could be complaining if you're a nintendo investor i think i'm you know speaking of that um oh, crap. hang on one second all right, I'm going to riff for a second here. Uh, hold on, I'm back, I'm back. Okay, he's back. Speaking of that, um, Nintendo uh, has reported investor information. Um, yeah, just this morning, they released um, their investor report, and they had a meeting with investors, and uh, they put out uh, some interesting information. Yep. Um, so, nin- Nintendo president... Uh, Furukawa says uh, that. Um, well, you remember last week, uh, or the, in a couple of weeks ago, we had discussed reports. Of, yeah, so we had gone on about the Nintendo successor right. as we perceive it in these drawings and sketches that are supposed are to be filed as a patent. Something we, like that. Something well, like that. We got two different things here. We have. You know, there were reports a month ago or so that Nintendo had shown off the the capabilities of the successor to the Nintendo Switch to developers and third-party partners in private at Gamescom in Germany. Yes, yeah. And it was, uh, they showcased Breath of the Wild running on, you know, some crazy performance rate and the Matrix game. Now, Furukawa was asked about these claims, and yeah. he says... That they are inaccurate. Inaccurate. So that's a that's a quote. The word inaccurate. So so when, mean, when these real quick when these higher ups at these companies speak, you really have to pay attention to their words. Right. Notice know? he didn't call them false. Right. He called them inaccurate, which means that the tiniest little detail could have been wrong from reality. Right. And he can call them inaccurate. Right. That doesn't mean false. It, yeah. You know, he would have said false. If they hadn't, if, yeah, if they if had they nothing to do with with it to the partners, so that that to me is confirmation that they did show something, something to their partners at Gamescom. Um, Furukawa he, also dismissed the recently the the dual screen system that we were discussing last yeah. week that Nintendo is in the process of working on a patent for. Uh, he said that it's not necessarily meaningful, right? So the patent itself. Is just a you know like it will just be a patent. It doesn't right. necessarily mean that's what we're doing. Right. Um, he also, when it came to talking about direct like direct questioning on a Nintendo Switch successor, just declined to comment, which is confirmation in my mind. Right. That normally there is one. this question gets asked every single year at the investor meeting, and he always says we have no plans to release 
a new console in the next forecasted year? If it's a negative answer, he gives a negative answer. Right. But when this happens, he declines to comment. Right. That tells you... Something's happening. He might as well say yes. Something's happening. Now, right before we came back from the break, I was reading something... Um, Nintendo released some of this investor information in English and they said the future outlook for Nintendo Switch it'll be entering its 8th year in March of 2024 Nintendo will continue to release new titles and content and this is a quote without being bound by the traditional concept of the platform life cycle end quote going forward They would like to continue to see many consumers play Switch and maintain business momentum. Mm -hmm. Now, this particular thing screams, hey, don't expect a new console from us next year. Yeah. We we don't we aren't bound by the traditional concept of the platform. That's an interesting cycle. phrase, and I kind of like that phrase. But I mean, I feel like this is something we've heard from Nintendo before. Yeah, they don't stick to their word. They used they you know when the DS came out, they said that was going to be the third pillar. Right. And they, they weren't getting rid of the Game Boy. This is the third pillar. Yeah. And then it, all the new Pokemon games come out on DS, and Game Boy gets discontinued. Yeah, I mean, sure, the Game Boy Advance was around for another year yeah. Or two. With the Game Boy Micro and stuff, but um, I, that you know, clearly games still launch for the Game Boy Advance. Right. But because the DS was backwards compatible with the Game Boy Advance, yeah, it, it was just, fine. It was obvious to me at the time, at least. Yeah, um, um, and they've said they said the same thing with uh, you know the 3DS and the Switch that they would coexist. Yeah, and then eventually the, this this is 3DS this is par away. for the course for Nintendo. So, to say. I mean, while it sounds like hey. You know, the Switch is going to go for a long time. I mean, I could see them selling the Switch into 2025, maybe even 2026. Yeah, the Switch definitely has a lot of life still in it. There's, you know, yeah. there's no... I mean, and there are games in development right now that are targeting 2024, 2025 for the yeah, Switch. Right. So, I mean, those games will still have an opportunity to release, and it's very likely that the next, you know, successor to the Switch will probably be backwards compatible as that's the industry trend right now mm-hmm. if you're not backwards compatible you're anti-consumer and nobody wants that bad you know press right, right. so i mean even if people are releasing games on the switch they'll probably be playable on the successor so i mean they can be right about both things yeah definitely um so uh we also got into or this story also gets into um the total number of Switch sales uh, being 132.46 million units. That's that's hardware, right? That's hardware. That's console, Switch consoles sold. That's the whole family. The OLED, the regular Switch, and the Switch Lite. Mm-hmm. Um, that puts it far and above beyond the Wii at this point. Which I think was a little over a hundred, maybe hundred ten million. Yep. So the Wii is no longer the top selling console of all time. It is now the Switch. Right. I think um, the only Nintendo, the only other Nintendo piece of hardware to sell more is the DS. Okay. Uh, but otherwise, it's it's now the Switch. Mm-hmm. The Switch is the top dog. Um, so. And you know, I don't know that anyone will ever beat the DS. I think it was over 200 million units of the DS yeah, that they sold. Yeah, that's crazy. And you know, if you think about the DS, the DS Lite, the DS, is it including all DS, that? Yeah, it's including oh, okay, the right. whole family of consoles. All right, that's a little different. 
in my in my mind that's um you know they did the same thing with the 3ds the 3ds the 3ds xl the new 3ds the new 3ds xl the 2ds right those are all the 2ds family or the 3ds family um they did the same thing for the ds right and then that's i mean that's still multiple successors combined yeah compared to a single piece of hardware sure i mean the switch is the same thing though you have the switch the switch LED, that's the true switch OLED. yeah okay so N- nintendo we're just comparing nintendo to nintendo right. so we're just playing by nintendo's rules here um still an incredible number of switches oh, absolutely i mean i've i have one of each of the switches mm-hmm. so i mean that doesn't necessarily mean that there's 132.46 right. million people with individual the users uh but i'd probably put that number at about 100 million if i had to guess yeah oh yeah that makes sense there's not as many people triple dipping yeah no way i do very few people probably buy every single iteration um, there was also some notable updates to the million seller list that Nintendo puts out. Um, so if a game sells more than a million copies, Nintendo will release the exact sales figure for that. So Pikmin 4 came in, which is a new game that just came out a few months ago, at 2.61 million copies. Mm-hmm. This is higher than the lifetime sales of every other Pikmin game Combined. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. So for the first time ever... They marketed the franchise right. Right. I mean, it's been maybe building up over the years. They talked about this, like, generational... Um, oh, gosh, where is it? I have... Uh, okay. So uh, they said that this is an example of how Pikmin characters have been nurtured by consumers across generations. They attribute the success of Pikmin 4 mm-hmm. to that aspect. You know, the people who played Pikmin 1 and 2 back in the day on GameCube, they've now got families, they're sharing that yeah. that enthusiasm. There's also Pikmin Bloom from Nintendo and Niantic, which has been increasing the brand IP. They've put out some, like, digital short animations on YouTube. Mm-hmm. They have been trying to make... Pikmin was included bigger. in Smash at some yeah, point. Yeah, Pikmin but... 1 and 2 was released. Olimar's in Smash, along with most of the Pikmin characters that he uses in the battle. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have been... They have been working hard. I mean, Pikmin is like Nintendo or Miyamoto's last like original yeah. IP creation for right. Nintendo. I mean, maybe you include the Mii's with that. I don't. I don't know. Maybe. Sure. Uh, I mean, there are me. There are me games. Titles. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he didn't necessarily make those titles, but he created the concept of the me. But when it comes to like just a game experience. Like, Pikmin was his last baby, and he still is really passionate about Pikmin, and he's even stated in the past, like, I don't understand why it hasn't caught on yet, you know? Mm -hmm. But it seems like they finally got a hit with Pikmin 4. Um, Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, which just released at the end of May, or sometime in May, is now at 19.5 million copies, which is bonkers yeah that's crazy absolutely bonkers breath of the wild outsold that number still at this point right um you know i don't have breath of the wilds i mean breath of the wild has sold more in seven years than Than this tears of the kingdom has in a few months four months yeah but you know tears of the kingdom will definitely cross 200 million but or sorry 20 million by the end of the year yeah um and It'll be curious to see how long its legs are. Probably not as long as Breath of the Wilds, if I had to guess, because the Switch probably doesn't have another eight years ahead of it the right. way the, that Breath of the Wild did. But I do expect it to sell a very respectable amount. It'll probably get to 
25 million by the you know the time the switch closes its doors probably uh that's uh yeah um that's um, crazy and pokemon scarlet and violet which has been out now for i think 11 months or so mm-hmm. had is at 23.23 million copies only three million behind sword and shields lifetime sales so oh, wow. far scarlet and violet will take over oh yeah from Sword and Shield. And this also, this 23.23 million also puts Scarlet and Violet just a couple million behind Gold and Silver version. Wow. It's likely that Scarlet and Violet, by the time sales are finished for it, will surpass the lifetime Gold sales of everything but Red, Blue, and Yellow version. Wow. Um, that's some crazy stuff. Uh, I want to point out at this point that um, this intel, um, this research, these numbers... Um, or this analysis, I guess you'd call it, comes from uh, Bloomberg. No, th- this is all. A, oh this yeah, is this all is all stuff Nintendo. Nintendo has reported. Yeah. Um, when it comes down to the investor, though, the, the investor comments from the meeting were reported on by by Bloomberg, Bloomberg. someone in the room, and um, Bloomberg Intelligence, their little division, did a lot of speculation, I guess, or analysis. Um, uh, I, I just had a few excerpts from their Sure, article. let me get to one more sales oh, yeah, piece. We're almost done with the sales. Uh, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe is at a whopping 57.01 million units. This means that almost half of people who own a Nintendo Switch have purchased yeah. this game. Mario Kart 8. And Mario Kart 8 Deluxe is a port of a Wii U game. Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, we were talking a few weeks ago about how, like, the next Mario Kart game might be, like, a Super Smash Kart or something, right? Mm-hmm. This makes me think that Nintendo is scared to lose the Mario Kart branding. Mm-hmm. Like, if they... If Mario Kart not... Well, some people consider Mario Kart Tour, the mobile game, to be Mario Kart 9. Yeah. I have a hard time calling it Mario Kart 9. But uh, let's say it's Mario Kart 9. So the next the next Mario Kart game is Mario Kart 10. Um, if they want to just kind of succeed the series with Super Smash Kart or something like that, mm-hmm. you know, I think they're going to... I mean, people will... The consumer would probably get it, right? Yeah. They'd probably get so. that, hey, this is Mario Kart, but just with more Nintendo characters right. now. Or they just add more Nintendo characters to Mario Kart. And, and just keep calling it Mario yeah. Kart. I mean, yeah, that's, that's an option too. Um, but, I mean, imagine a Mario Kart opportunity where like hey everyone in super smash brothers ultimate mm-hmm. is now in mario kart right. and the power-ups are now across nintendo and third-party franchises not yeah. just the usual things you're used to seeing yeah that would be crazy i could still see it being called mario kart yeah but yeah that would be um, that'd be crazy yeah so i mean yeah just 50 se- i think this is nintendo's highest selling game mm-hmm. of all time period the f- it doesn't make sense how this is a wii port and no, 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 uh, a Wii U. A Wii U port, I'm sorry. So since they last reported the sales earlier this year, mm-hmm. it has sold an additional 1.5 million units. Which, we're talking about like a 10-year-old game at this point. Yeah. Still, I mean, you know, they talked about the Blue Ocean back in the day, and like evergreen titles that just never stop selling. This is why we haven't gotten a new console Mario Kart yeah. game. Because why make why, a new yeah. one? 
I mean, they've been adding new DLC to the game the last two years, which is cool. Right. But And that's the way to do it, I guess. Eight keeps selling. Eight and, keeps selling. So why make a new one? If eight keeps selling, you know, nine will end that. Right. Or ten or whatever. Ten, yeah. Um, you know, so that, yeah, that's why they wouldn't do that. Yeah. All right. So, um, what did what what analysis? What so I just wanted to have? list this stuff out. It's, I mean, just for completion's sake here. Um, Nintendo reported uh, operating profit of uh, ninety four point five billion yen, revenue of three hundred forty or thirty four point nine billion yen. So the same numbers we were looking at, um, just okay. in yen. Um, well, th- these would be different numbers from a different time of the year. Oh, uh, you're right. So in the September quarter. So yeah, the September quarter that thirty four billion yen translates to two hundred and almost two hundred twenty six million mm-hmm. USD. Two hundred twenty six million. Yeah, so that's one quarter just of the you know compared to the year right. that we were looking at yeah. just now. Um, Beating so expectations, so, like they point out that this beats all analysis. It beat their internal expectations. Yeah. I think they raised their forecast a little bit higher in uh, response to this earnings. Right. Um, ex- yeah. So uh, the um, the company's outlook, like their so their going forecast, uh, they haven't changed it. They put it at uh, 15 million units for the switch. Okay. So that's they're going to keep the same. Expectation. Right. I think. I think after the you know the fiscal year will end in March, right? So the next fiscal year, I think it's predicted that the switch is going to start getting into single digit territory, mm-hmm. which is like you know investors are going to be looking at that as like this. I believe is going into the fiscal year of twenty twenty four. So this is like well, it, it ends in March of twenty twenty four. Right. So the new fiscal oh, year... Oh, through March. I'm sorry. You're yeah. Right. You're right. The new fiscal year will begin April. So they're looking... They're expecting 15 million more units of the Switch by March. Okay. Sold. 15 more, more or 15 million total by the end of the, the fiscal year? I think it's 15 million for the whole year. I don't okay. think it's 15 million more. In the it's... Next... Uh, the way they wrote it is kind of confusing. Um, I, b- I believe it's 15 million for the current year. They... They put their expectations at 15 million units in the year through March. Right, so that's including everything up till now through March. Okay. They expect to hit 15 million units sold. Yeah, so uh, basically the takeaway there is that they're not changing their expectation. Okay. They're, they're, I think their software sales are higher than anticipated. Right. Um, but hardware is remaining steady from what, they're, what Nintendo's seeing. Okay, so... Um, the uh let me see here uh so the fiscal year um 2024 uh pre-tax profit i'm so i'm not an, right. anal- an analyst <laughs> yeah like, but it's the, but the it, article is pretty uh... it, it's very in-depth and analytical um and it talks about their their net profits their expectations the percentages um what they expect to fall uh, it says they expect to fall uh, 1.4 to 3% okay. um, in net profit sales. Okay. Um, Explain what that means to th- fall. Uh, it's looking like we're talking about software now. 
It says, uh, I'll just quote the article here. Nintendo's upgrade fiscal 2024 sales and profit metrics are mostly most likely driven by better-than-expected sales from new software based on its key franchises, such as Zelda, Pokemon, and Mario, supported by a weaker yen. This is another factor that, uh, right. that lends itself to their profit margin over the American companies. Right. Uh, is that the yen has dropped in... I guess, uh, like inflation by 6.6%. Mm. And that is translating into It's their... crazy. Like one US dollar is worth like 25% more than like a yen over there right now. Right. And it's crazy. Um, of fiscal year 2023's pre-tax profit. Right. So they're anticipating a fiscal year 2024 sales and net profit drop um, of 1. 1.4 to 3%. Versus the nine point nine nine point five to 21.4% that they had previously. Okay. Is what... This is a little above my pay grade. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty technical stuff. But this is Bloomberg's analysis. Um, so that, that wrapped up the majority of what was discussed in the investor information and meeting uh, that took place earlier today. But about an hour before we started recording, uh, Nintendo dropped another bomb on the world. Mm -hmm. And that's that they are officially creating a live-action Legend of Zelda movie. So they announced this with a a quote from uh, Nintendo legend and Zelda creator Shigeru Miyamoto. It says, This is Miyamoto. I have been working on the live-action film of The Legend of Zelda for many years now with Avi Arad-san, who has produced many mega-hit films. I have asked Avi-san to produce this film with me, and we have now officially started the development of the film with Nintendo itself heavily involved in the production. It will take time until its completion, but I hope you look forward to seeing it. So this film, some other details were released in in that uh, PR announcement. It's being produced by Nintendo and Arad Productions, which is Avi Arad's company. He's produced he produced many of the early Marvel films and most of Sony's blockbusters from the last five or six years, including stuff like the Uncharted film. The movie is going to be directed by Wes Ball who directed the Maze Runner trilogy of movies based on a series of books and the upcoming Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. The film is being co-financed by Nintendo and Sony Pictures Entertainment. Mm -hmm. Nintendo will be financing more than 50% of the film they were sure to note. Um, Worldwide distribution will be by Sony Pictures Inc. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... This is a lot. This is a lot. Um, Where do we start unpacking? Okay, so Nintendo's making a live-action Zelda movie. We were just talking maybe two episodes ago about what Nintendo should yeah, do if they were to make a Zelda put this movie. In another drop in the bucket of, <laughs> like... Uh, we kind of seem to come to the conclusion that it would be smartest for Nintendo to make an animated film. Yeah. They've um, come to a different conclusion than us. They have. So, this can work. It, sure, um, it can. You know, there's, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna like shoot it down right. Like, no, you know, I mean I'm. But uh, they better do it right, because there's a lot of tradition behind the Zelda games that they can't just 
hand wave away because it's a movie. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, I mean, dude, if Link talks... Yeah, if Link is never spoken. And I know you can get into, like, oh, he chooses options in dialogue. That's not speaking. That's that's still a silent character. Sure. Um, And, uh, you know, uh, (laughs) stuff like that. Um, If they make Zelda, I don't know. I don't know. Not a blonde princess or something. Okay. Uh, That would would be... uh, Another that wouldn't work, okay, for a lot of people. All right, and if changing Mario's voice acting in the Mario movie is any precedent, despite how well that movie did financially, sure, you know, uh, that's not looking good. I also don't like how many hands are involved in this. Um, I mean, making a movie is hard. Like, if 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 anyone's expectation was that Nintendo was going to do this from scratch on their own. Yeah, of course. I get that. I'm not, I'm not asking for that. Um, um, but... So here, here what, with what little information we have, all we can do is look at the history of Avi Arad and this West Ball guy. Mm-hmm. This is kind of all we have to go on so far. Now, Avi Arad... Uh, Miyamoto says it himself he's produced many mega hit films I love his terminology too like mega hits they're not hits they're mega hits yeah so that to me I don't know that doesn't scream confidence to me that screams like I want this movie to be big right not that I want it to be good that's the the, uh, I didn't know how to word it but that's the impression I'm getting to and then this Wes Ball guy the Maze Runner films are like you know, something of like a Hunger Games yeah. kind of, you know, like they're you know a bunch of teenagers running around and death is everywhere. So and... a bunch of people at the top of this project are not likely Zelda players. Uh, I mean, Zelda's touched a lot of people. I mean, Avi Arad, the dude is like Miyamoto's age, probably hasn't played much Zelda games. Mm-hmm. Um, this West Ball guy, he's fairly young. I think he's like late thirties, early forties, something like that. Right. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he's, you know, a player. Maybe he's not played everything, but you know, he'll probably be like, "Oh man, I played Ocarina of Time when I was a kid." You know, that kind yeah. of a thing. Um, Which is better than no basis, right? Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see. Do they base this on a particular game? Yeah. Do they do an original story? I think. That might be smarter. If we look at each Zelda game, generally speaking, is not a sequel and is its own standalone story somewhere in the Zelda continuity. Right. I think it would maybe be smart to make an original Zelda game that could just Zelda movie. Zelda movie that could stand as a part of the larger continuity right. without really you that know, is its own screwing story. anything up right. that's like preconceived from the games that we know and love already. Right. But I could also see the temptation. That would also open the door to a lot of, you know, <laughs> stuff that I would not want to see. Right. But, I mean, would you rather see them bastardize something original or bastardize Ocarina of Time? Yeah, I guess I'd rather have this be a flop on its own. <laughs> Uh, if it's gonna be, I mean, something tells me it won't be a flop. Uh, okay, not flops the wrong word. Yeah, disappointment. A disappointment. Like, sure. Blasphemy. <laughs> um, you know the this West Ball guy. He has been given the keys to a new Planet of the Apes film, mm-hmm. which uh, another mega hit as 
I mean, it's yeah. a long-standing franchise. I haven't seen any of the newer Apes films. Have you? Mm-mm. The ones that had like James. No, Franco I never them. really cared too much about. No, Pink. yeah, no. I, I, I like. I saw one. I remember the one when we would have been like tweens or teens yeah, that came out. It's probably the one I saw. Um, but uh, I've heard the newer ones are pretty good. Um, so he's they haven't made one in like five or six years, something like that. And so this is a continuation of those films. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, they're giving him a chance with a big franchise and. You know, directors, especially when they announce a director this early in the pre-production process, mm-hmm. this we could have three different directors' names before we finally get to like the movie begins. Filming, right? You know, so yeah, that... I wouldn't, I wouldn't be too set. I mean, the fact that they did announce him this early, they must really like him to like attach his name to it. Um, these people seem to be very much Hollywood blockbuster type. Yeah, you know. Miyamoto wants this to be a big spectacle. Yeah, and know? I don't know that that's the right approach. I mean, okay, so let's say they approach this with like a Lord of the Rings-esque budget with like these crazy sets mm-hmm. and things like that. I mean, I don't mind them throwing that kind of money Zelda's way. Right. It's, like, I mean, just don't make Link talk. That's probably <laughs> the biggest... That's like your only... Okay, so hypothetically, he doesn't say a word through the whole movie, right? Mm-hmm. And then, like, it gets to the end. And he says something. He says, like, one line. You know, like, four words. I that At that point would be a conscious creative decision. Right. Like, it clearly they did that on purpose. Right. So even if I don't agree with it, I can respect that it was a decision that the holders of Zelda made. Sure. You know, um... I'd respect that more than if he... So you'd be willing to, like, like okay, I can let that slide. Yeah, but if it was just a straight oversight yeah. and no one, you know, no one stopped it, yeah, that's going to be bad yeah. for me. I. Well, yeah. how would you know? What do you mean, how would I know? How would you know whether... Like, you mean, like, if he's talking through the whole movie? Yeah. Oh, okay. It okay, would be obvious. I mean, right. Yeah, like the trailer I'd probably talk in the trailer. Hi, I'm Link. I'm a regular 12-year-old boy. I don't think he would say that, because that would be dumb. But... I grew up in the fairy town of blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Some... Not not Kokori Forest or anything, like, canonical, just some new right. crap. This is my friend Saria. Yeah, just... <laughs> Yeah, they just botch it. Oh, I, that man. would be so bad. I, yeah, dude. I See, I don't know, there's a small part of me that would love to watch that movie too, just as like a, holy crap, how could they get this so wrong? I'm going to say something. I don't hate the cartoon, and the cart- in the cartoon he does speak. So I'm not... He talks like, a lot. He talks a lot, uh, so I'm not closed-minded. Well, excuse me, Richard. Yeah, so he, you know... I I just I don't know. Maybe I side with the cartoon because so many people crap on it and hate it. Yeah. You know that I I want to give it love. Okay. I own it like the box set. So. I mean, it was one of those things that Nintendo of America was just like, sure, make a cartoon. Yeah. You know, like it's a good cartoon. Like they do a lot of you know Zelda. Like yeah. you know Ganon's there. And yeah. Like it, it. Yeah, they pay homage to a lot of the items in the games. You know, it, it's. Uh, it's good. It's yeah. better than like people make it sound. Right. So one other thing I want to point out about this story is that 
Nintendo is partnering with Sony on this endeavor. Yeah, so that's kind to of finance and distribute the movie. That's kind of an elephant in the room, but that's Sony Pictures is not PlayStation. No, you're right. I mean, Sony Pictures has made like a Gran Turismo movie. They've made an Uncharted movie, right? Which are um, subsidiary properties, right? Um, so it's it's interesting. It makes sense that they go with a Japanese company, mm-hmm. and Sony's probably the biggest Japanese movie, per, like you know, producing. Company. I feel better about them going with Sony, uh, Sony Pictures, than them going with like Warner Brothers or Paramount, right. or something like that. Yeah. I mean, at least it's in it's in Japanese hands. Well, I mean, they're developing this game with Western people, mm-hmm. like a Western director, a Western producer. No. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, so, I, I don't know. I just think it's interesting. One of their chief rivals, someone who they notoriously are known for not playing too much ball with, and that goes both ways, um, you know, they're... They're partnering. I mean, it's not like they're partnering with PlayStation Pictures. They're partnering with Sony Pictures, but it's still it's still interesting. Someone they've had a relationship with, you know, in the past. They they worked on a console with Sony at one point, the yeah. Nintendo PlayStation. Yeah. Um, and you know that went sour, and Sony spun it off into its own thing. Which yeah, is, there's. I mean, there's an irony there that yeah. Sony is working on a product of one of Nintendo's biggest, most successful properties. <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's I don't know. I just think it's interesting that yeah, they they've tried to mimic in the past, right? You know. And that they've just that they've just worked it out, and I guess they're friends. That's cool. Um, uh, does, this does not mean that they're friends, but you know they have a business relationship. They have a business on, relationship on this project. All right. Well, um, I just want to leave us with one last question, and maybe this is something we can talk about next week. Um, I know we're like we talked earlier. We're not really like super into celebrities and stuff like that, and yeah. actors. You are. I'm not. I mean, I there are certain actors I like and I enjoy. Like if they're in a new movie, I might want to go see them. Like I enjoy their performances. Um, but uh, so I mean, who plays Link? Who plays Zelda? Who plays Ganondorf? Let's do a little bit of homework. Mm-hmm. Let's come back next week with some choices they don't have to be serious choices you can get silly and stupid if you want um but i i think it would be fun to kind of follow up on this and uh talk some names and you know see if we can imagine together what that might look like sure yep sounds good all right um, so danny devito is ganon that's my yeah, pick see i like not to unpack now but i i would almost want an all british cast I feel like okay that would work best for this. Okay, um, I think that's likely. I mean, that's like the Star Wars approach almost. Like they they tend to get like yeah, you know, English accents. Yeah. I can't imagine an American like you know, Southern California accent, right? And you know, th- I think this it works really well, especially when you have different groups of people, like different like races. Like you know, you've got elves, you've got fairies you've got you know Mm. desert tall women lady you know like i think it helps there's so many different english accents when you look at like the you know the british isles Mm. like you know you got scotland you got ireland you got wales you got the uk um i think they can represent you know like oh you know this race of people the the gorons are gonna you know talk like they're from wales or you know like you know i've noticed that like a game like dragon quest they they rely on 
that those kinds of English accents to kind of emphasize like different groups of people well, emphasize not just that but emphasize the atmosphere yeah. of the game you know um which works out yeah. it works out well the first game i played that was like that i've talked about it before the last story uh from mistwalker stuck with their british voice acting team and it sounds great it just worked yeah. so well for that game i mean i think there's room for people that don't have an accent but I, yeah, I don't think they should be like, sup, Link? Well, I don't think that the script is going to include Southern Californian dialect. Right. But, uh, or slang, you know, but just the voice. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just talking about okay. the voice, the accent. Yeah, I mean, well, hopefully Link doesn't talk at all. Yeah. God willing, <laughs> Link does not but speak. But if he does have an accent... I mean, he can make all the sounds in the world right. as he does in the games. Yeah. Just don't have him speak dialogue, yeah. please. All right. Well, we're just going to leave you with that. Yep. We'll be back next week with some some fan casting we'll for be, y'all. We'll be talking about that again. Um, uh, sorry, this is our longest episode yet. Oh, definitely. So uh, let's put a pin in it. And transmission. <laughs>